You're listening to the We're All Right podcast, hosted by Brandon Oseg. Right, we're back for the second episode of the We're All Right podcast, hosted by myself, Brandon Oseg, for the Swan Districts Footy Club. Managed to get a second one after the first effort. Don't know how, but we have. Um, it was great to get off the mark with that one. And we're backing it up with another very special guest today who I'm sure the Swans faithful can't wait to hear from. Um, and to make sure we don't get a case of the second pod blues because I probably will have the second pod blues, but the, the calibre of my guest means the pod will stay strong second up. Um, so without further ado, we'll get into introducing our second guest. He's a 119-game veteran, current player and integral part of the league side. He's the reigning Swan medalist, state representative, and I am going to officially call it here the fittest man in the waffle. Um, he also wanted me to mention that he averaged 30 a game in 2022 despite being heavily tagged on numerous occasions. Um, if you haven't worked it out yet, we are lucky enough to have none other than Jesse Turner or JT as many like to call him. How you going, mate? Yeah, good. No. Great rap there. Um, yeah, it's a long, long list of people wanting to get on this podcast. So for me to be one of the first, it's a, it's a huge honour. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're um, happy to be on. Um, I'm actually surprised that I got you on today. I thought um, you'd still be soaking up LeBron, breaking the scoring record during the week. Um, and you would be saying no to any requests because I know you get plenty. Yeah, it's been an emotional few days. That's for sure. I um Unfortunately, didn't get to watch the game live, but uh, Wednesday when it was, I had the notifications turned off, watched the game Wednesday night, and um, yeah, a few tears came down, that's for sure. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm more interested in the trade that we just did, so we play tomorrow against Golden State, so hopefully we can get off to a, a good start, and you know, we really need to win some games to make the playoffs. Yeah, I don't, don't think it's going to happen personally, but you can keep your hopes up if you like. <coughs> um we're recording this in Feb, which you're not going to hear it in Feb, but it's directly after one of our tougher post-Christmas Saturday morning sessions in terms of the running. Um, like the consummate professional you are, you needed 20 to 25 minutes to stretch post-training, um, which was perfect because it gave me a chance to grab some coffees. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more later, but how do you think the pre-season's going from your perspective so far and how has your pre-season gone personally? Yeah, as a team, it's obviously been, as you know, very different. Um, we've had a new fitness coach, obviously, as well as Pruy take over. And yeah, it's been a lot more heavy running and a lot more physical than what we've probably had in the past. But I think the boys have really taken it, you know, stride for stride. And you've really seen over the last couple months, especially post-Christmas, the improvements that we've made. Um, it was highlighted today with our running session. Some boys were running the best they probably ran, you know, ever. So it's really good to see and hopefully we can keep building because we've still got a, a little bit to go before games. And, yeah, personally, and no, I'm feeling good. I'm definitely ready to get into some match-type running. Um, you know, me being me, I've been running for a while now, but um, I'm pretty healthy, which is the main thing. And, yeah, I'll be ready to go in a couple months' time. And no doubt you would have enjoyed um, <coughs> harder pre-season in terms of running. I'm guessing something you've probably been looking for for a couple of years. And shout out to um, Andy Budge, who's that new fitness coach that you're talking about, the great man. Yeah, well, I mean, even Budge has probably even exceeded what I thought it, it would be. Um, but yeah, I definitely am enjoying 
enjoying the running sessions and I think all the boys are really starting to come on board with it. So, like I said, it's been different. Um, we've done a few different things that never done before, including, you know, Bluff Knoll. But um, overall, I think it's been really good for the group and hopefully it leaves us in good stead throughout the season. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we're on a Swans podcast, obviously, um, and I asked the same question to the first guest I had on. It's something I want to keep going um, for every pod. How did you become a part of the club or well, where did your connection with the club start? Yeah, so I started playing for Bassendine, uh, junior footy club. So Great junior club. Yeah, great great club, five minutes from here. So um, I grew up – I actually started 14's development squad. Yeah. So pretty much as the youngest you can come. Um, I was actually East Perth zone, um, living in Beachborough. So I used my Nen's address, so shout out to my Nen in Cavisham. Yep. Uh, I used her address, which was able to get me down to Swanee's. Um, yeah, and pretty much did 14's development into 15's, into 16's and so on. So I've been here, yeah, since 14 years old. So it's been, you know, quite a big journey from there. Um, but, you know, you know, I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did you did the rounds in terms of starting the development squad and going through that um, process, which I know a lot of um, boys did. And <clears throat> unlucky to East Perth, I didn't actually know that. Little fun fact with the address. So, geez, they'll be... They'll be um, Wondering how they let that one slip under the radar, but they, at the time they probably didn't know what they were missing out on. Um, you've already said your junior club was Bass and Dean. What great club I played there. Um, Do you win any flags? No, I. Yeah, it, it still haunts me. I'm, I'm yet to win a flag at any level. So we had very a very good team throughout. We were quite consistent with the playing groups. So I made made a couple grannies. Um, made the finals every year from when finals start in juniors, which I think is under 13s or, or year 8s, what yep. it's called now. Made a couple grannies in year 12, so I had two years in year 12s, um, both against Mazenod. Uh First one we got absolutely pumped and then the, my last year of juniors where we finished top was definitely the best team. I think we kicked the first four and a lot of boys were already thinking about celebrations and we ended up <laughs> losing by a goal. So on our fault but yeah unfortunately no premierships at the junior level hopefully we taste one soon we've got personally three in a row there so but it's all right it's yeah. not, not for everyone yes yeah, obviously not <laughs> great club though um so like growing up where you you hear about um with different people growing up there's some that sort of grew up living and breathing footy and footy was basically everything from day one I was one of those. And then there's some that maybe started a bit a bit late or it wasn't a major part of their life when they were young and they sort of fell into it a little bit. Um, which one were you? Um, no, so I started footy when I was four turning five. So I had to spend three years and I was kick. Um, yeah, so footy started real young for me. But I did play tennis. I started tennis at three. And um, three. not to brag, a little fun fact, I was actually state tennis player <laughs> at a young age. And, and um, there was a lot of tennis and, and football up until – oh, and cricket for that matter, up until about 13, 14, and then I kind of gave tennis and cricket away. How did cricket go? I was a left-arm off-spinner. Off-spinner? I, I, I could move the ball off the pitch, I tell you that. <laughs> Mainly because there was a few sticks on the pitch and it hit it and then the ball would spin, <laughs> not because I could actually spin it. But, no, I was an okay cricketer. Definitely wasn't my strong suit. And then I kind of gave up cricket and tennis early into my teens and started playing just local basketball. But in terms of footy, uh, yeah, started that at four years old and kind of, yeah, played every year since. So it definitely had been the biggest part of my life in terms of sports. Yeah. 
And I think a few would probably be surprised about the tennis. Who's the um, – I know you're big on LeBron being the GOAT in basketball. You love your NBA. Who's the GOAT for tennis? Uh, look, I think when it's all said and done, when the big three have all retired and, you know, Federer retired recently, but you still got Rafa and Djokovic, I, I feel you'll have to go Djokovic on, on titles and, and um, Grand Slams won. For me, it's Federer, um, just the way he's played, and I think he – brought a lot of people to watch tennis and I think, you know, he started it and then Rafa and Djokovic have, um, you know, kept moving forward. But, yeah, I I lean towards Federer as the GOAT in tennis. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, you're saying you're a bit of – you had other sports but you're pretty much a footy head from a young age. Um, how, like, what kind of role did footy play in your life growing up? Because, like, a footy club, obviously, you rock up to place that you train, they have footies and stuff, and then you play on the weekend. But it's also more than that. Like, it's a family, it's a community. Like, what kind of role did footy have for you growing up? Yeah, so footy was huge. So my, so I had uh, a couple of uncles uh, and my dad. So they all played for Bassendine. Um, most of my uncles had retired by the time I was, you know, old enough to go down. So my dad still played up until I was probably 11 or 12. So not only would I go to my my training uh, for juniors. I'd also go to my dad's and help out. And then every Saturday, because Sundays were when I played, I'd either do boundary umpire or water boy where I'd actually do the Colts, resis and league. And I did it for a few years. Um, used to get $50 cash for each game, which was nice. But um, it would yeah. have felt rich back then. Yeah, real rich, <laughs> real good. So Canteen, got to run. A couple <laughs> sausage rolls and a Mars bar <laughs> just to get me through the game. But no, so footy was pretty much my whole weekend if – as soon as I'd I'd get to wherever Bazo was playing in the amateurs early Saturday morning, I'd be there to Saturday Arvo. I'd be straight home to watch whatever footy was on that night. And then Sunday, I'd have my my own game. So um, yeah, footy was pretty much everything from a young age. And yeah, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yep. Um, yeah, I was very much the same. But uh, yeah, it sounds like it played a big part. Which that's the beauty of footy, I think. Is the role it can play in your life, not just what you do in terms of training and playing. Um, you mentioned that you played development squads, but I suppose development squads, yeah, obviously they're great, a great pathway at the club. But the the major um, footy you play at Swans first, if you do play it, is Colts. And I know this will be a big topic for oh, us to talk about. And I know you've spoken about it before, but I want to sort of get into like your career at Swans. So start off with um. With Colts, debuted in round four, 2014, yep. I think, if I've done my research right. And you played every game up until the finals. Then you missed the semi-final and the grand final. I know this might be a touchy subject, but we've got to get into it. And I haven't spoken to you a lot one-on-one -on -one personally about this, so I'm interested to hear about it as well. I've heard about... I've heard you um, speak about it a couple of times in front of, like, a group and that kind of thing, but... Um, We'll get into the, that, the finals and the grand final. But first, just tell us about um, like the regular season and playing your first Colts game and what that experience was like, playing Colts. Yeah, so um, basically if I just quickly step a year back, so I had the yep. 16s. Um, so 14s and 15s, I did quite well. 16s came around and I was kind of struggling to get a game, wasn't getting much game time. Um, and that was 2012. 2013 was my first, I guess, pre-season for Colts. And uh, it was also my last year of juniors. And I actually got cut. It would have been early, mid-Jan. 
Um, and from was, the Colts from squad? From the Colts, yeah, from the Colts squad. So went back down to juniors to do my final year. So I was year 12 at the time at school and um, had a pretty good season. Like I said, we lost the granny, but um, I was for able to – For Bass and Dean. Yeah. Was able to win the association medal um, in my last year of juniors and was kind of invited back down to, to Colts the following year. So a lot of my mates that were my age that I grew up playing with, I didn't actually play with them, a lot of them in that final year of juniors of Basel because they were already playing Colts. Um, so, um, you know, we had a probably even a strong – we could have had even a stronger side in juniors, but a lot of them were already playing. So I was feeling a bit obviously not great yep. in the fact that I missed out. But came 2014 – um, yeah, I, I got through the preseason. I had a bit of a a bit of a nagging injury early, so I didn't play the first what was that? first couple of games. Oh, I just had some like hammy and groin tightness. I think it was like my first proper preseason, and that and I got it at the it was one of the preseason games, and I got it at the complete wrong time. So um, missed the first couple of games, and then came in round four. I think what helped was a few of the boys had gone off for state commitments or even playing up in reserves. Yeah. So I was able to get a get a game. So I was, you know, obviously nervous as hell. A lot of my mates had already been playing for a year. So so they they were still at the club again. So yeah. you're back playing with a lot of the guys. Back from, playing with yeah. a lot of my mates and um, felt very different. I think when we were in juniors, I was a very confident player and you know would would um, see myself at the same level as them. And then because they had played for a year and ready comfortable at the level, it, it felt a lot different. And yeah. I didn't have a great a great debut, but I was able to – I remember it was a close game in the fourth. It may have even been a tie. I was against Subi and I kicked a goal in, in the fourth quarter to put us in front. So that was, um, you know, a real a real special moment and we were able to get the win in my first game, which which was great. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of um, throughout the rest of that, that season during the regular season, it was weird. It was the first season where you could have five on the bench okay. rather than four. And yeah. Trent Cooper, who was the the Colts coach at a time, really wanted to play the fifth person as a sub, you know, like you know back when you used to have a sub that you'd bring in. So, in the next, I think, but there was, was no cap on rotation. No he just wanted to do it that way. Yeah. So every other team just rotated five. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you could have an extra midfielder or whatever. But um, so the only rule was they had to come on before half time. So the very next game, I got picked again. But so I was the sub. So a lot of games. I think there was at least six to six or seven games I was the sub. So I would have came on literally with a minute to go on the second just so I was able to then play the second half, which I'd play the second half like normal. Yeah, okay. Um, so mm. I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, like you said, I played every game from round four onwards, but I was kind of – some games I'd play a full game. Uh, a lot of games I was the sub. I'd get thrown around from back to forward to wing depending on the availability of our other players coming back from state – had a lot of boys that were in the Colts last year, so my age, were then going up to reserves. A couple of boys were playing league at the time as well or, you know, getting a chance to play league. So that would kind of then give me a spot. And um, So it was I never felt secure in my role yeah. in the team, but I guess... So not overly com- not fully comfortable. Yeah, definitely wasn't fully comfortable. It was a real interesting one because, um, yeah, like uh, obviously hated being the sub. It just felt weird waiting until... Half time, pretty much before you go out there. So sometimes I'd find it hard to get involved in the game. But yeah, I was able to play. I think I think it was twenty games back then. So I was able to play every game from there. And then going into the, the finals, um, are we going into the finals? Yeah, but now? just before you do, now I don't know whether this is just 
they've recorded the stats wrong or not, but did you play a reserves in a Colts game on the same day? Yes. I you think, did. I think it was yeah. the final game. Yeah, it was. Against East Freer? Well, I can't remember who the opposition was, but I remember looking at it and I was like, has he done a Seb- Sebastian Bright shout out and played two games the same day? Well, I think it wasn't It wasn't meant to happen. I think the twos were – a reason a lot of the Colts boys moved up is that the twos were struggling that year, I think, and they wanted a lot of young boys um, to get a taste of what at least senior level yeah. was. And it got yep. to the last game and for some reason they all those boys that were playing twos like weren't, I think because finals were coming up. And um, they wanted to kind of rest him. So me being like a fringe player at the time, I got a nod on the head at like three-quarter time that you're going to be playing in the twos. And I, I was the sub that game. So really I'd only played. Yeah, so you I, felt pretty fresh. I, so it, I wasn't a full, fresh. it wasn't a full set, bro. No, nah, it wasn't a full set, bro. I'm not, I wasn't that good. I wasn't able to back, <laughs> back up two full games. I think I'd only played two quarters. So there was a few of us, and it was definitely the fringe Colts players will call us. And um, – yeah, I don't think my stats would have been any good because I was quite uh, put on the spot with it and definitely wasn't very confident. I think we got absolutely smashed. How'd you find it, though? A lot faster. Yeah. Um, I vividly remember, I think the East Frio twos at the time were like second or third and we were second last or last and, you know, didn't have enough players. So the Colts players had to come up. So it wasn't a wasn't a great, probably a great first game in mm. terms of the environment that it was in and just, just the feeling of the group. Um, but I did. It. I enjoyed the experience to see what it was like against, I guess, more senior players. Because I guess at that stage I was still wasn't comfortable. But I played enough Colts games to know, you know, what to expect, what it's like. And then going up against bigger bodies, it um, definitely told me a few things about myself and, you know, what I would need to work on going into following seasons if I was ever gonna play senior footy. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was, wasn't sure, but you actually did do that. So there you go. Um, so yeah, like I said before, like I know a lot of the boys that play at the club sort of know about it. You've spoken about it a few times before. Like I said, I haven't spoken to you about it one on one, but we will get into um, the finals because obviously, as I mentioned, you played um, every game, even though you're saying some of them were as a sub, but you're still there for every game. Um, then you missed the semi final. And the grand final. So as much as I know it probably hurts, it probably will hurt a little bit to talk about it, but um, talk us through through that from your perspective, like leading into the finals and sort of how that all played out. Yeah, so it was, yeah, like you said, a lot of people know, I guess, the overall story of what happened, but there was a, there's a lot of nitty-gritty stuff that actually was probably the worst for me. So at, the league had made the finals – uh, elimination final. Yep. Obviously, the twos didn't make it. So, when selection came around, a couple of the boys that had played mostly Colts had got picked for league um, initially. Um, so we had for the a, final. Yeah, for the league finals. So Was that? Did they? Who did they? They play against East Fremantle East in, at East Frio. Yeah. So um, one of the boys had played was Colts age, but pretty much had played league the whole season. Yeah. Who was that? Uh, Aiden Anderson. Oh, yeah. So Ando yeah. hadn't played a Colts game. And then players like Levi and Jason were also named. Levi Ridley and Jason Daniels. Yeah, yeah. who had played. Jason had played. I'm not sure if Levi had played league. I know Jason had played league that year. I know Levi played a lot of reserves and was getting 25 to 30. Yep. And so when we when our selection, so we had a qualifying final because we finished top. Um, so when our team got read out, I was actually starting on the field. So I was starting half forward or wing. For the semi-final? Yeah, for yeah. the first final. So I was quite happy. Um, and then I got a call 
the Friday. So that selection was Thursday. I was starting. I was like, yeah, you know, not even the sub. I'm starting on the field. I got a call that Levi and Jason has now, for some reason, whatever the reason was, they're not now playing league. They've actually come back down to Colts. So then that pushed me to the bench. But I was still like, I'm still playing. You know, we got we had a full team. So there was no, besides Aiden, who hadn't actually played a Colts game to that point, Everyone else was back yeah. in the Colts team. He was the only one. Because <clears throat> yeah. I was going to ask you if there was anyone that was on like state duties or anything like that. Or But obviously, Aiden was the one who was playing league footy most of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was playing um, yeah league footy most of the year. So was Connor Blakely for that, for oh, that yeah. matter. But Connor was um, Connor had been playing quite well. But yeah, so neither of them had played a Colts game. Levi and Jason came back and a few others that were, had played reserves. So we had our full team. So you could say besides Aiden and Connor, but they never really they hadn't played a game at that point. So then I got a call Friday saying I was moved to the bench. I was like, look, it is what it is. Um, I'm still playing. Then I get another call from Trent Friday night saying Aiden Anderson's actually been dropped for the first time this season. So now you're the first emergency. It was obviously quite upsetting, um, but yeah. because Aiden was allowed to play, even though he hadn't qualified, as long as league was still in, in the finals. Yeah. So the final came around and we won by a couple goals, which was which is good, which meant we get have a week off, go straight into the, the grand, grand final. final. Uh, Swannies in the league lost. They had a big lead. I remember. I was there. Yeah, I watched it. Big lead and coughed it up and um, elimination final, so they were done. So that automatically meant Aiden Anderson couldn't play in the grand final because he hadn't qualified. Neither could Connor because he hadn't played a game at all. So, so it opened up a spot. So it opened up a spot. And I remember the next week because there was only three of us that were qualified. Um, the other two were Jared Shorter and Timothy Yorkshire. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, them? Yeah, I know them. Yeah, and yeah. both of them had played exactly five games yeah. to qualify. And both of them hadn't played uh, for a long time. What, so what, the, what were the reasons they hadn't played? Were they, any the, of them involved, involved in state or anything? Or? No, nah, they, they just hadn't got, hadn't got yeah, picked. Yeah. Um, so they both had just qualified. There was only three of us. There was me on 18 games, Timmy and Jared on five. Um, so the next week, uh, Trent told me that, you know, I'll be coming in for the grand final. So I had to do all extra work in the off week and extra conditioning because I hadn't played yeah. a game the week before, obviously this week. So it'll be three weeks yeah. since I played. So yeah. I had to do a lot of extra stuff, extra running. And then week of the grand final came. And again, I had to do some extra stuff with the coaches. And I was actually feeling quite good, you know, knowing you know, I'm going to play. And it hasn't been a, a great year in terms of, you know, haven't always felt the most comfortable, but at least I'm going to be able to play in a grand final at the time at, at Domain Stadium. I'm not even sure if it was called Domain back then. Subi, Subi Oval, yeah. wherever it was. and Might have been Domain. Yeah, yeah maybe. Patterson's? It was Patterson's. Something, mate. Don't know. Changed that many times. So then the Thursday came around and um, we did our selection and I, I, I was I was playing. Um, got told I was playing, but the forward line coach was going to play half forward and then we're up having dinner. And about two minutes before Trent went to read the board, he called me over and called me off to the side and said, um, look, like, I'm gutted for you, but we've made a last-minute change. And I was like, I just remember my heart dropping. It was just, you know, upstairs in one of the rooms. And he said, look, we just feel that Jared is going to be a better fit and, you know, he's just qualified. So we're going to go with him and you're going to be the first emergency. So... Obviously, I was just didn't really know what to say. Um, you know, I was I was happy for Jared because me and Jared kind of spoke a lot because we were both kind of 
I guess on the on the edges throughout yeah. throughout the season, even though I'd played a lot more games. And so the team got read out and you know, I'll never forget the amount of boys, which, you know, is a credit to them, came up to me and were, were quite quite shocked and unsure because Jared and Timmy weren't actually told to do all the extra work. It was just me. So it, I, there was no sign. Like, Jared was as shocked as anyone. And then I remember him coming up and, like, apologising. I said, mate, it's nothing to do with you. Like, it is what it is. So yep. I remember getting in my car and um, – yeah, just was completely numb. And obviously I'd been speaking to my family about it and, and told them, look, I, I think I'm playing. Like, I will be playing. I've been told I'm playing. Um, so they were quite excited for me. Um, like I mentioned before, I didn't have won a grand final yeah. junior. So this would have been my first opportunity. And um, I called my mum and I remember telling her and I reckon there was no communication for about a minute. There was just dead silence. Mm. And I think I'll never – the one thing I will – remember more than anything was how upset she was for me on the phone yeah um i remember driving back and i just was trying to get something out of it i was actually you know i was tearing up but i was trying to communicate couldn't get anything from her um so she pretty much just told me that like she had to she had to go like she she just couldn't at this point and um by then I, I guess what I hadn't said is I'd for the last couple of years I'd really started to up my my training and I'd really become tried to become you know a better player and was putting in a lot of extra work from probably about 16 so it's it not like uh, I hadn't been trying my best and I think mum that's where it got to mum she saw over the last couple of years before that how much I started to commit yeah and wanted to uh, I guess prove myself that I was good enough because I guess all of this did start in 16s when I really wasn't getting picked. So Development squad. Yeah, <laughs> and then getting cut and Colts. So yeah. it was that 16s that really turned my head. And then obviously spoke to a few of my family members, but I kind of just wanted to get left left alone. And then because we had training on the Saturday morning. Because you played Sunday? Yeah, yeah, Sunday game. So we had like a little run. I think they were putting breakfast on yeah. and that. And um I don't think she might. She won't mind me saying this, but I know that my mum spoke to Trent. I think the Friday, so Thursday after training, before we had that training session, and said like, "I'm going to try and convince Jesse not to go down." Um, and a few people told me not to go. Um, I made the call that I was going to do the right thing and still go down to training. Yeah, just credit um, to you. And like, um, you know, it would have been I, tough though. Yeah, and I know. I know Timmy, who had only played five, he spat it and. Pretty much told the club he's not coming yeah, right. and didn't come. Um, so I came down and it was tough because a few of the coaches, uh, I don't, like again, it's just little things that you remember like we're making like a few boys were not sore but, you know, pulled up a bit ginger just in a couple drills where only having a kick and the coaches would make fun or Jesse, you're going to be in here, like stuff like that. And it, it was kind of like the worst. It just made it a lot worse, which they didn't mean to, but it kind of the situation I was in, I kind of just wanted to be left alone. Yeah type thing and so I got told you know I still had to bring my gear and that and so the grand final happened and like I said a lot of the guys that were playing were some of my best mates throughout juniors so I was in an awkward spot because obviously I felt sad that I wasn't in but I, I wanted them to win because yeah. a lot of those boys hadn't won a grand final like myself because we'd lost and they won and they, they played very well Jason got BOG and he absolutely dominated uh, the game, um, they beat Claremont yeah. in the grand final. So I went into the change rooms after and all the boys, I was just, just do the right thing. I didn't want to stay for too long, but I wanted to congratulate all the boys for winning. Um, and yeah, got around the boys and Trent pulled me aside and said, uh, 
uh, make sure um, you come to the the trophy, the wind up, which was the next day, like the the Colts, the Colts night, because you'll be getting. Uh, I'm going to be giving you a premiership medal, and I, I kind of told him like, look, I I appreciate it, but I I don't want I don't want one. It just yeah. doesn't. I don't want my first premiership medal to be one that I didn't play in. Yeah. And, he, and he convinced me that it was the right thing to do. And um, obviously, over the next couple of days, there was a like the boys were partying and. Uh, we had one at Jason's house doing, you know, all the stuff that you do when you win a premiership. And I, I remember going to a couple of them and, um, as you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a big drinker or anything like that, but tried to do the right thing. I had to leave quite early because I think I had that many boys coming up to me, not just players, but people that had come to these like little parties that we we're having for winning and just, you know, apologising to me or asking how you are. And you kind of, I kind of just wanted to leave and, you know, I was sick of hearing it type thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. just having to leave one one party and, and like I said, the boys were so good about trying to make me feel inclusive. But mm. It was just impossible. I remember one time it was one of the parties. We played a Sunday. I think it was the next weekend actually and um, I ended up pulling over halfway home and I reckon I just bored my eyes out for about 20 minutes. I, I just – I didn't know how to react or how to feel. I felt bad for leaving because – I wasn't that I was angry at any of the players, but I just personally just couldn't be there. It just yeah. and then um the week after was was the the wind up type thing and Trent had texted me to make sure I was there and it got to the night of the wind up and I made the call not to go. And pretty much the reason was I knew that that as much as I told him like I don't want to, like I'm happy to come. Um, you know, obviously obviously I was going to go, but I, I don't want the medal. He said, No, like you're getting it. So I made the call not to go to the the Colts um, medal, which back then it wasn't like the Colts wasn't like the Swan medal together. It was the Colts were separate, so yep. it was just the Colts night. And I didn't go. And um, I remember a few of the boys messaging me that I actually finished. I finished. It was either seventh or eighth in the best and fairest. Now, obviously, a lot of players didn't play every game because of state duties and going up. Um, but to me, that was it was actually more deflating than it was encouraging because it was. Like, you know, I had played a lot of games of the sub. Um, you know, in saying that I wasn't comfortable, I did have a few good games in Colts and I, yeah, I finished seventh or eighth. I know it was, it was one of the two in the best and fairest. So I was kind of, um, yeah, again, not sure how to feel. And uh, it wasn't long after that I had my Colts, you know, end of season review. Yeah. And so I met up with Coop, uh, Trent because obviously that was my last year of Colts, year, um, being 18, turning 19 the following year. And so this would have been a week after the wind-up and stiff. Greg Harding was obviously in there being the lead coach yep. at the time. Yep. And look, to their credit, they were honest. And they told me I was more than welcome to come down to the senior preseason. But if they're being and, – and Greg t- tells it how, how it is, which I like. And, um, you know, Trent, I guess, was much the same. And they said, that you most likely won't play reserves. But, like, feel free to come and have a run and it might help you – you know, when you go to play amateurs, um, um, you, you'll be fitter and you'll be stronger and you'll be able to play well uh, in Amos. And I think uh, that was as much as the last couple of years I had changed in terms of my training and trying to be trying to get the most out of myself. I think that was the biggest, I want if you want to call it a light bulb moment or the biggest, I guess, chip that just got put on my shoulder. Um, I remember c- coming home and telling all my family that and everyone from friends to teammates from the Colts that knew what they said told me to leave. 
and not one person wanted me to stay at the club. And it gotten to the point where um, I was actually working just at – I just finished school. I was working at Jim Kidd just at the sports store in yeah, Raleigh. Yeah. I'd have so many – just people come up to me that, that I knew, mates and that, that were like, like I heard what happened to you at Colts, mate. It, it's stuffed. Just go play local footy. Just go have fun. Change team. And I actually got to a point where I took offence to that people, instead of telling me that I was good enough, were telling me to just go have fun playing yeah. local footy. Like, without again, it's one of those ones where they're not being – mean or they're not trying to hurt me but i was like no one is telling me like go back and you'll play you're good enough it was all either change waffle clubs or just go have fun playing local footy don't worry about it don't worry so um yeah and like i said there wasn't a family member that said playing at swans was the right option and i kind of weighed on it for like a week and it i came to the Conclusion: Like I've, I had two options. I can even I can either because going to amateurs, what I didn't want to do that yet. Yeah. I could either go to like an East Perth or something and try my luck there, or I can work my absolute backside off, come down to the senior program and prove to Steph, but more so Trent and the club that you know I am good enough and you know I can play at this level and I will play at this level and, and I made that decision to to do that. Um, obviously, we can go through what's happened since then a bit later. But Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, it was – it definitely <laughs> – there was a lot more downs than there was ups early yeah. especially. Um, but I remember I remember the next two months in the off-season, I, st- I wasn't very knowledgeable on how to train yet. I was uh, still quite young um, – you know, I didn't know. I knew a bit about weight training because I had been doing it, and about fitness work. I wasn't quite sure exactly how it works in terms of the most beneficial. So I kind of was doing it like a headless chook. Yeah, but yeah. I had the the drive to. I was getting up every day and I was going to the gym and I started we'll, running. We'll get into that as yeah, well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it there for now. But yeah. that, that's kind of up until that. So end of cult story. That sort of gives you a bit of like. Well, that will give people a bit of an insight into sort of how. Um, you you are today in terms of the way you go about it with your footy and that kind of thing, and and we will talk about that a little bit more. And it's funny because some people would probably listen and think, oh, like you're playing a lot of, you've played a lot of league footy. You're like a regular, very good waffle player now, like Colts, whatever. But it's a it's like you said, you've never won a flag anywhere and it's a big thing at the especially at the time like with the Colts footy like being in that situation it, it's something that would still um burn like a lot of people um it's yeah it's one of those things because you're saying you didn't feel like you were comfortable at the level but I think by the sounds of it the the mistake was and unfortunately this happens in footy a bit is when something gets said or indicated and then it doesn't end up happening. But then when you're younger, you don't realise that that can happen until you've experienced a bit and played at a higher level and matured a bit. Because yeah. obviously you were under every impression that you'd be playing um, and like you played every game, like you said, maybe not fully comfortable, maybe not one of the first picked, but you felt like you were going to be playing. And that's one of the unfortunate things that has happened to plenty of people and happens in um, in footy. But... um. You sort of answered it a bit as well 
<clears throat> one thing I was going to ask you, and I think I sort of know the answer anyway, um, and you sort of mentioned it as well, is through that experience, did you at the time like have the ability to see it as an opportunity or was it mostly uh, having that mentality of I'm going to prove everyone wrong and have a point to prove or did you like you were saying that you got thrown around like back um forward played on a wing um didn't fully feel comfortable obviously went through that whole process did you um straight after see see it as an opportunity or did that more come down the track maybe where you look back and saw how that probably was a moment that enabled you to become better than you might have otherwise? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. So I, I think initially I I didn't see it as an opportunity to become more resilient, to look I, – I didn't see it at that side. I think when it initially happened and I made the decision to stay, I looked at it as in – like in all seriousness, like, you know, I'm not happy with the club. I'm not doing this for the club. Yeah. I want to prove the club wrong. And, yeah. And it's – and I've said over the, the more recent years that I matured that it was – it was definitely the wrong way to think about it because I'm playing. I was playing for the club over the next couple of years, but at the same time, I'm trying to prove the same club wrong. Like I'm playing with a chip on my shoulder, which is fine, but the energy from it was more negative than it was positive. You know, and I think a lot of people would be the same at that age and going through that experience. It's a pretty. It's pretty hard to be able to see it in a positive light. To yeah, be honest. and because everyone everyone's response from family to friends was negative back. Yeah. It wasn't – no one really told me look at it from this point of view. So it's not that I, – I never really gave that a thought of, oh, this could be this could be positive. I, I think the one thing I did think is it, it's mo- it motivated me a lot more. It, it did make me want to train harder. It did make me, you know, want to, you know, eat better foods, recover better, do the right things, which um, obviously even at that time I was like this – this is, at least it's made me feel like this, but it definitely was a negative, uh, I guess, a negative side to it yeah. that took, in all seriousness, as you probably know, it took a few years where playing at senior level for me to kind of let it go. Yeah. And, yeah. and now that just looking back at it, I think a lot of people talk about my strength being my running ability or, or that – for me personally, my biggest strength is me being resilient and looking back at that, that if it wasn't for that, like it's not that I wouldn't change it because obviously I would have loved to play in that premiership. But if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be the person I am right now. Yeah, and I was just about to frame it that way. I was going to say as, as much as you'd like anyone would take a flag, but do you think you'd be – where you are as a player and a person right now if you didn't go through that. 100% not. Yeah. Like it's now looking back at it, like I wish how I – like I'm so happy I took the path of training harder rather than quitting. I'm so glad I didn't take everyone's advice on changing club. I just wish I was a bit more positive in a negative situation in terms of, look, yeah, it, it has happened, but let's not – put this on the club, let's just look at this in a different way. And that took me a few years. But yeah. now that I'm at that stage where I could see how much resilience I had to show from a young age. And I, at the time, I didn't even know I was showing. I don't, probably didn't even know what resilience really was. You know, I think going in juniors, I kind of had everything handed. I was always one of the best players. Um, and I think what I hadn't mentioned, it's not to brag or anything, but in juniors, 
with those same guys that played Colts. I won fairest and best three of the four years. So when these guys are getting picked for Colts and I'm not and I'm sitting there like, you know, I, I've won these fairest and best. Like, why can't I play from the year I got cut and even the year that I was playing? It, You know, it, it was very hard and, like, I didn't know at the time that it's making me more resilient by pushing through. But, yeah, looking back at it now, it, it what that did for me and I guess not just with footy but throughout life with yeah. other stuff, it's, yeah, it, it's... I could probably, yeah, it's hard for me to put it in words, but it's mm. had a massive impact on me. And that's the thing, though. Like, a lot of people can be, <clears throat> like, whether you talk about it in footy terms um, or you could apply it to other um, areas of life, but, like, you're the best player all the time. Like, And, you know, like, some guys are talented and they're best player all the time and they end up playing AFL. But generally, a lot of people who are successful or... Um, have a really good life in terms of how happy they are and all that kind of thing, face some sort of resilience at some point. And even though you don't want to necessarily go – if you got asked before, do I want to go through that, the answer is probably no. But at the same time, it's what shapes a lot of people as well. And, like, I think the whole thing, like you were saying, with you, you wish you are a bit more positive, I think, like, the whole mentality of having a point to prove is – a good thing because it can push you to places that you've never been. And I think, like you said, we, we started playing league footy at a relatively similar time. And, yeah, your first couple of years was um, probably sort of like, oh, I'm just – got a point to prove. Like, this is the way i got to go about it. But then you can see now how you've um, honed that and changed that and harnessed that so it's not just negative, like, oh, I've got a point to prove, like – and you can see how it's made you sort of what you are today. So I think you've turned it into a, a positive as well. Um, and it's a big driving driving factor. Yeah, no, 100%. I 100% agree. Like I, I wish it was – I wish a couple of years earlier I was able to see see it the way I do now. But, um, you know, to say that – like it, it still motivates me uh, to this day. Where That was 2014. Obviously, haven't won a, I still haven't won a, a premiership at all. And – you know, there's a, a room that we have up here where it has the the 2014 Colts, and it's got the it's got the players there, and then there's also there's a photo up here in the in the club rooms, and it's got the where they got the cup on the on the oval. And every time we go into one of those rooms, my eyes immediately go to it, and it's just it reminds me of uh, you know there's there's times you know there's times where I'm not feeling very motivated, there's times where I'm struggling. You know, I, I've still got screenshots. Of that grand final. And you do you do need that kind of thing as well because you, you know like what it's like once you've been playing at a level for like X amount of time, sometimes you're not always gonna be extremely highly motivated as much as you try to. So you need something to keep you like we've all had different things. Like I had when I came back to the club after the break, I had certain question marks from different people about whether you'd bother even trying to play footy again yeah. or like whether it's too much to try and get back into it after everything that's happened. And you do sort of remember things, don't you? And you've got to hang on to things to keep yourself motivated to a certain degree as well. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing, you know, I believe in is, is for, especially for me, like like if you bank on just like motivation, then like it's not just going to work for you. Like no one stays motivated. Like no one ever is going to be always motivated. Like obviously people know me for, you know, getting up early and training and that and people think, you know, how are you so motivated? Well, the, the amount of times I will get up 
early in the morning and the last thing I want to do is be going to the gym or doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but from what, that incident that happened back in Colts and just, I guess, what's made me who I am, it's not a motivation thing. It's more of like an obsession. Like I'm obsessed with getting the most out of myself and being the best I can be. And that's where, like, I'm when we go back to, you know, would you change anything? The, what all those events that happened previously and some stuff that still happens now, like it's not like everything's smooth sailing for me, but it's I've developed to a point where, like, you know, I'm obsessed with just being the best teammate and the best player that I can be. And, you know, having those things to look back on when your motivation is low just keeps me going through those tough times, you know, when it's winter and it's cold and you're sore from playing games and you still want to, you know, do your gym sessions and keep your body, you know, doing, doing the right things that it's it's those things that you look back on that, that keep you going. And Mm. yeah, I think that's where a lot of people get that where people that are trying to get better at something, not just with footy, but throughout life is, you know, they hang on to motivation, but motivation only gets you you so far. It's that obsession with wanting to, to be better. And I think the events that happen definitely, has put me in that state. Yeah, and and building strong habits too. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about your sort of your training and stuff. But um, so yeah, well, from 2014, move on from the Colts, you transitioned into senior footy because like you said, you were too old to play Colts anymore. Um, and this is where we actually first crossed paths because most of your footy in 2015 was in the reserves and we played in the GF together, which not wasn't a great memory. No, but let's yeah. not bring that up. <laughs> At least we got to play on yeah. Domain or Patterson's or whatever it was called. But um, you made your debut that year though in 2015 uh, against East Perth pretty late in the season. Um, eight disposals for the record. One of your lower – would be one of the, your lower it career was. tally counts. But it was the lowest. Yeah, but uh, all jokes aside with that, tell us what that moment was like, especially given what you'd sort of been through as a build-up and, and even just playing your first um, game of league footy. No one really forgets it. No, nah, it, it's – um, and the, yeah, it wasn't your traditional you get picked on Thursday night type thing. So I'd, I'd been playing pretty good – for the in the reserves, and we actually, um, after a rough start, we as a team started doing really well under Pruie, who's our lead coach at the time, yep. was was our reserves coach, and we had strung quite a few wins in a row at that point. I remember the last reserves game I played was against South, and then um, I got I trained with the league on the Thursday night, but I was actually an emergency, but one of the league boys was under an injury cloud, so Stiff told me, look. Um, who was that? Who was that? Was Do you remember? Think, no, nah. I, I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember who it was, yeah, but I, I just remember that. Yeah, I was told I was probably a fifty-fifty. They kind of uh, they kind of half trained on Thursday. Something was going on, and anyway, I was at work on Friday, and I got a call from Greg at about one o'clock in the afternoon saying, "Like you're in," and I was like, "Oh, like, I was I was shocked." I not this. I guess what had happened in the previous years. Me being, I was like, my luck. I will I not won't be, play. I'm not playing. <laughs> you had to wait till the Saturday, though, didn't you? Yeah. Not the, not it wasn't a Sunday game or anything. You no, it was Saturday. Had, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. got the, got the call Friday, though. So <laughs> straight away called mum, uh, called dad. So everyone was obviously over the moon for me. And unfortunately, that was actually the morning of uh, Phil Walsh and Phil Walsh getting. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there was actually quite a bit going on. Yeah. In football at that stage so we played east perth and i was playing wing i started on the bench and east perth had only just started their line not too long ago with west coast at that point so i remember running on i ran on after a goal 
And first quarter. First quarter, yeah. ran on probably seven or eight minutes in, and I looked to my left, and Matt Rosa, who was playing for West Coast at the time, was standing next to me. Yeah. You, know? you know, it wasn't that long ago that I wasn't, I wasn't getting picked for Colts, and now I'm standing next to Matt Rosa. So it's fair to say I was a bit timid in my first game. Yeah, a bit um, starstruck. I did get a disposal early, <laughs> got a kick, and it went absolutely nowhere to where I wanted it to go. <laughs> I think I had time and I just hacked it, just wanted to get a disposal, but uh, we uh, we won. It was actually a very close game. We only won by a few points. Yep, and yep. at the time, we were like middle of the pack. So yeah, I was going to say 2015, the league side ended up just – they missed finals on based on the last round's results. Last, yeah. yeah, so it wasn't like you were gifted a spot. Yeah, no. Nah, so I think at the time, us and East Perth were fighting. So it was a, a huge game for us and, and we'd won – yeah, it was about under a goal. So it was a, a real good – but because of what happened with the Phil Walsh incident, I'm not sure if you remember, but no team sung the song. Yeah, I, I do. Footy. Yeah, sort of remember that. Yeah, yeah, so it was a bit, you know, I, obviously I could 100% see why, but it was a bit annoying that my first win. Nothing went straight forward for you. Never got in the huddle. <laughs> and, um, well, I, I played again the next week and we won, but everyone had forgot and I didn't want to throw myself in the huddle. So you just sung on the outside. So I'd no never, Gatorade shower. I, I never never got a Gatorade shower for a win. And then my 100th, which was last year, just just quickly, we lost. So I've actually <laughs> never been in the middle, Jeez. never been in a huddle. Oh, yeah, okay. So. Um, did you so you, like when you played the first game of league footy? Did you sort of have time to reflect after that first game and and like realize how much of an achievement it was from where you were even a year earlier? Like you've gone from being a, a sub for a lot of games. I know you played a lot of the games. And that whole process was not playing the grand final. The next year you're playing waffle footy after you've been told that you probably wouldn't. Get reserves. a game in the reserves. So did you – or was it more like I've played my first game of league footy, like holy shit, how good's this? Like want to keep playing. Did you have any chance to reflect or that probably just came later? Yeah, I I, I, I probably look back and wish I, I did, but I was someone that just kept looking forward. Yeah. And for me it was – straight away I was like, oh, I didn't play great, but, but we did win. So, you know, I just hope I get picked. And that's always the mentality for guys when they first start yeah, playing and, league footy. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're so worried about yourself, aren't you? A lot. Because you're like – and obviously when you come in, your your spot's not going to be just, you know – Guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed. Mm. So I knew that, you know, I had to play well. So I was kind of like, you know, this Saturday night, obviously, um, I remember, you know, how excited my mum and all my family were and they would kind of say, like, look how far you've come. But for me it was like – I want to play next week now, you know. I know we had, we had West Perth the next game. and yeah. um, So for me, it was kind of just looking ahead to see if I could string, you know, a few games in a row and, you know, build some confidence. Because at that point, if I'm being completely honest, obviously my confidence had grown and I was always a confident player. But from what happened the season before and even with all this training, I kind of had this false confidence type thing because I kind of lost so much of it from what had happened really from the 16s to the year I got cut to the year I got dropped. Uh, I had this obsession of training in that, but I, I didn't really believe in myself. And So you it, didn't, didn't feel like you belonged no. sort of thing? Yeah. So even uh, even throughout the reserves, I, I, it's not that I was timid, but I definitely wasn't comfortable where where I play footy now. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't comfortable very much in the reserves, just didn't have that much belief. So when I was playing league, I obviously was nowhere near comfortable and I was just – just trying to hang on and be like, you know, I just want to do whatever I need to do to to play another game yeah. to try and build that confidence yeah. because I would show that I am this confident 
player, especially in the twos, you know, I'd show them confident. But if I, when I really look back and I think about it, it uh, my confidence was quite damaged. For it took me a while to get that confidence up, and it wasn't really until I got that confidence up that I was able to let everything go yeah. that had happened in the past yeah. in that negative way. Yeah, and yeah, I, for different reasons, I can relate to that. I remember coming back and playing reserves, I was worried about just getting a reserves game and probably was more worried in my head than what reality was. And then I used to worship. When I came back to the club, I used to worship the guys who were playing league, like Justin Simpson, like absolutely worship them. Like yeah. They're on a different um, plane that I don't even belong on or I'm nowhere near. So I can sort of um, relate to how you feel. It's funny because it's not right or wrong, but some guys – almost expect to be playing league footy and think yeah. that they deserve and it's not necessarily a wrong thing because you need confidence don't you to play yeah. at that level but it's funny how like everyone's um a little bit different but yeah you played four games in a row <clears throat> you ended up getting i'm guessing dropped back to the reserves um of those four i was having a look three were decided by less than a goal and the other was um only 11 point margin you're not winning two of those less uh, goals so it wasn't like there was there wasn't like you were there were any games where you got flogged and or there was an easy win like a blowout. So the sting wasn't out of those games. Like what that would have been a pretty intense start and introduction to league footy. Yeah, it was. It's kind of like it has been for the last few years. We're, it's always been close games yeah. with us. And yeah. I remember our second game was against West Perth, which would have been my best. I'm not sure what I had, but it would have been in the twenties for disposals coming off. Twenty three. Yeah, twenty three. So. I remember I played – I was playing wing, but I actually had a very good start in the fourth quarter and got my hands on it a few times and helped set up. And I remember I got thrown into the midfield uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter. Like and inside. Inside. And I was, you know, I was doing some some weights and that, but I was still on the skinniest side, I would have thought. And I remember standing um, in the middle and I, I looked around and I had Matt Riggio to my right, Ryan Davis to my left. Yeah. I was standing next to Aaron Black and then I had Shane Nelson on the other side and then there was, uh, I think the other West Perth mid might have been someone like me, a no name, but there was <laughs> four of the five inside mids. Shout out to whoever <laughs> that was. Shout out to who the third West Perth inside was, but four of the five, Nathan Blakely was rucking as well at the time. The I should doctor. probably mention that. Yeah. So straight away, I, I, I remember that was the only time in a game where I actually had three seconds before the ball was thrown up to reflect the the – Swans faithful were going crazy at the time because I think when I got thrown in, we had just kicked a goal to take the lead. So yep. it was halfway through the fourth. I've been pushed into the midfield and I'm looking around. I've got all these absolute stars. This is one me. of those moments, yeah. And that was the one time where I've just – I like kind of took a deep breath and I was like, oh, holy crap, like I'm right in the middle of this. And, yeah, we ended up winning that game by a few points. Yeah, it was. It was, under, it was under a goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was a, a great win. And then I was able to – I think our third game we were in Mandurah against Pill, which I played okay, um, but we we lost in, in a close one. And then I was able, to, I got picked against Claremont, which I remember playing at the showgrounds. It was an absolute terrible deck to yeah. to play on. And I think we, we we started well. and We lost that. That was one of those games that we lost that we should have um, should have won. And yeah, I didn't have a great game then, and that was towards the back half of the season by then because I think there was only a few games to go. And then I was dropped back to reserves after that fourth game yeah. um, against Claremont. Yeah. Um, and obviously it sounds like from what you just said before, you're probably a little bit like I am and probably a lot of guys, you were fully aware of like who the 
main players were in the league side and sort of looked up to them a bit. Like you mentioned Matt Riggio, Ryan Davis. Like were there any others that were similar? But you, you obviously had an awareness of who the better players in the whole competition were. Um, like some guys are a bit naive. Just that's some guys, everyone's different. But you obviously had a bit of awareness of who some of the bigger players were and you sort of looked up to them a little bit. Yeah, I was I was definitely – I like to think I'm a very big like student of the game, even now. Like I watch a lot of uh, vision of other players. And for me, obviously, in a swan sense, because I was playing midfield, like Matt Riggio and Ryan Davis were the two that I just absolutely looked up to when I first came up to the senior list and just, you know, kind of like you said, like I never thought I'd be anywhere near them, mm. but I just wanted to be around them to try and learn as much as I could. Yep. And then obviously we had, you know, other players like Tony Knott, Talon Ames that weren't in my position that you just go, these guys are absolute freaks yeah. at, at what they do. Yep. So, and then in, in terms of, I think I've said this before, in terms of other teams, I'm not sure what made me draw myself to them. I think it was the way they played, but there were three players straight away, which was Aaron Black, Kyle Horsley and Lee Kitchen, that they were kind of the three benchmark players that I knew quite well even before when I was just playing reserves at the start of that season. So when I had um, come up to play league and I was able to play against West Perth, when I was standing and I saw Aaron Black there, like to me that was like a huge thing to yeah. know that, you know, I'm standing on the same the same spot. I'm standing right next to Aaron Black who's – you know, an absolute freak. And he was quite young at the time. And he was, he'd already played a whole lot of league footy. Like, yep. he was playing, I think he won a standover at 20 or 20. Like, he was yeah. real young when he won his standover. Would have been something like yeah, that. Yeah. So he'd already established himself. So, um, yeah, I, I was, like you said, I, I definitely had a kept track of a lot of players, especially midfielders at other teams. And, you know, I kind of not modeled my game around them, but looked at things they did well. And, you know, throughout the years, I've tried to implicate some of the stuff they do into my own game. Yeah. Um, and, like, when you when the year finished up, obviously disappointing with how the reserves grand final went. But were you not content, but were you pretty happy with, like, your year, the fact that you managed to play four league games? Or were you a little bit um, disappointed that you hadn't kept your spot in the side? Or Yeah, look, I was – I think going – Coming down from league, I was I was actually okay because our reserves team again were doing really well, uh, and I knew we were going to be a, a top two or three team, so we were going to be playing finals. So I was, you know, it wasn't the worst team to get dropped down to. It wasn't like the previous year when we were Colts and the twos were struggling. We were flying at the time, and so obviously, like you said, the season happened. We were able to make a granny, um, got absolutely smoked by South Frio, and then I remember after the season because uh, I, I didn't play very well. In the grand final, I think I put too much pressure Not on. Not many of us did, though. <laughs> I don't think any of us got the footy. We lost by about <laughs> 80. But so I remember thinking about, like, I was very, it was, it was hard to look back at it in a positive way just from how bad the grand final was. But I guess when I looked at the whole picture, I was like, look, there's got to be a lot of belief I can take from here, you know. And I think the biggest thing I took was, you know, you get told you weren't probably going to play twos. And yeah, you, you, you got dropped, but you played league footy. And when you were playing twos, it wasn't like you were the sub. It wasn't like you were getting thrown around. You know, you were playing, you know, I was playing like wing or half back, and I was consistently playing that. So obviously I'd proven that I could at least play very consistent footy in the reserves level. And so then going into the next season, I was definitely a lot more relaxed and having done a pre-season and knowing, you know, your time trials, 
running, what to expect. I was definitely a lot more relaxed going into my second season compared to my first. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, uh, I think it it showed because after 2015, you basically cemented your spot in the league side, maybe not straight away, but you played three reserves games in 2016, one in 2017, and then from 2018 onwards, you didn't play any. Um, So I think that shows that once you got a taste of it, um, you sort of dug in and learned pretty quickly what was required at the level. Yeah, well, I remember going into the 2016, 2016 season, it was quite a disappointing season for lead level. So I remember I played the first three league games. I had a very good pre-season. Um, I remember like Greg telling me like I've, I'd come a long way just from then. And we started 0-3. So a lot of the younger boys, we all kind of, I think we were a bit panicky as a club why we started so bad because mm-hmm. we'd come from just missing finals and we were expecting to go one better and we started 0-3. So I, I got dropped for, for three games and then came back in to the league side and then played league for the rest of the year. And I, we finished near the bottom, but I remember um, I actually finished I actually finished fourth in the, in the fairest and best because I, I got a tagging role second half of that year, which again at the time I liked and disliked because I hated following around someone, but especially later I look back and at some of the players that I got to play against, which are the likes of your Horsley, your Kitchen, your Blatt, and um, the things I was able to learn from them and be able to pick up on and that I still, you know, I still remember to this day was huge for me, especially in that season. That was like my first, I guess I played a few games the season before, but that season when I was able to do that, that really started giving me confidence. Like, you know, I can play league level consistently um, you know, I'm obviously not playing a role that I'm comfortable or a role that, you know, long-term is going to be – I wouldn't love to play in, but being able to go against these guys and see what they're made of and see how good they are. And because we were, we were getting flogged in a lot of these games, we started – I think our back half of 2016 was terrible. Yeah, well, we finished bottom. Was bottom, I yeah. Think, so I think, I'm pretty I, sure I knew we, we were second bottom. bottom or bottom. So it was, wasn't – so I spent a lot of the time, you know, chasing, chasing these guys because we didn't have the footy a lot. Um, but it, that's another one of those things that I probably didn't know at the time that mm. I know now how much it, it helped me um, help me grow as a player. Yeah, yeah. well, I was actually going to ask, um, because 2016 was such a down year, um, did you sort of have a chance to treat it as like a blank canvas where you could learn what was required at the top level and what to do in your positions? But you've sort of already answered it by the fact that you got put into that tagging role, you are forced to learn. Yep. what the best did because those guys you mentioned, they they were at the top of the tree in terms of midfielders for a very long time. So like Horsley obviously not playing anymore. Kitchen's still playing. Yep. And then obviously Aaron Black, right. like he's another one who's still playing, but they're at the top of the tree. So you obviously took that year to, to learn. And then probably do you think that's when the belief in terms of playing at the that level – really kicked in do you reckon it was after that year yeah it was definitely that year and it, and it wasn't only from myself it was the first year that I felt like the coaches started to believe in me like Greg used to tell me you're playing these roles because we want you to learn how these midfielders play we're not giving it to you for no reason so mm. that was the one reason I, I started to look at it as in uh, you know they think that I could potentially make, not get to this level but I can become a, a, a league midfielder you know, not just a tagger. So that's where I, I did start to enjoy. And as as it went on, I was able to 
not only you know I was able to tag, but I was able to then run off and be able to impact and then show that you know I can play both ways. Yeah, and I, that was definitely the season that I guess I was like, yeah, like I can I can do this, and I can become a league player consistently and have you know the attitude of you know I'm I'll be getting picked because of what I can bring, and that was the first time that towards the back half of that season that I felt like that. Mm. It makes all the difference, doesn't it, when the coaches start backing you in in terms of your own confidence and belief. That segues pretty nicely into what I was going to ask you next. You sort of um, have mentioned some of the players that you sort of looked up to and eat, like in your position, but also guys who weren't playing in your position when you came into the side. Who um, who do you think's had uh, the biggest or just a big impact in terms of coaches um, on your game and building that confidence and belief, but also helping you improve your craft? Well, like I touched on before, Pruy was our reserves coach in yep. 2015. And as you can remember, it was, it was very hard on us. We copped a, a lot of sprays from Pruy, but he was so passionate and cared so much. that He had a massive impact on me. To me, he was the first coach at this club that I could see or would actually tell me that he believed in that I could play. You know, I, I, even when I was playing league at a couple games in 2015, I, I still wasn't getting a lot uh, from Greg or from the other coaches. I wasn't sure of what they thought of me. Like, it's not like they were telling me they didn't believe in me. I just wasn't really sure. The only real conversation I had, Greg, about it was going into the season when I got told I probably won't play reserves. So probably was the first coach to actually go um, and tell me that I, that it was good enough. And, like, he treated me like I was good enough on how mad he got when I didn't do the right things. And to, like it's weird, but like if I didn't do something right, he'd be on me, and I never had that because I, I no one, none of the coaches really thought I was capable, so they were never on my back when I did something wrong. Yeah, and it's things you don't necessarily um, think of straight away when you like when you say things that you did wrong. It's not like the, a kick that you missed. Yeah. It's not like as simple as that. It's other things that you wouldn't necessarily be thinking of or front of mind straight away, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. None of it, especially with none of it was skill level stuff. It was all structure, running patterns, you know, doing, you know, not doing certain things when you should be doing them. And I think that's why, you know, you remember about just when I had my Swan medal speech, I actually got quite teary when I spoke of Pruy because I, I, I've always told him that I've never forgotten the, like, and I don't think he ever realised, I don't think I've ever told him, I, I think, that would have been the first time in that Swan medal special yeah, that he heard of that, how much belief he actually gave me. He was the first coach where I, I, was, I was at Swans and that's assistance. That's anything that I looked at and I said, like, this coach believes in me and that's why I wanted to do – I wanted to, you know, do anything I could for him and that's why I used to get real hard on myself when I let him down because of, you know, the belief, belief that he gave me. And then obviously when I was playing league, Greg Harding was our coach um, – to begin with, up until 2018, I think 2017 was his last season yep. as lead coach. Yep, it was, yeah. And obviously that 2016 and 17 season when I started playing consistent league footy, and I started to get the same feel from Greg. He really started to believe in what I could do. And again, as you know, with Greg, he's you know he's very hard on you, and you know he can be quite confronting. But you know, you're probably more worried if he's not. Uh, you know, you when you look back, you want him to be like that. Shows that. You know, he believes in you and he knows you can do better. And, you know, I copped a fair few whacks from, from Stiff early in, in my career. And at the time, you go, like, you know, why are you saying this to me? Like, you're picking on me or whatever. But, you know, I could see, looking back now, you know, he really started to believe in me myself as I, you know, transitioned into my second 
well, my first full season of league in 2016 and then his last year in 2017, he could really see that I'd started to, to grow as a player and that I could potentially, you know, be a, a consistent league midfielder in the long term. And it wasn't just a, I guess, a flirt. It wasn't just a coincidence that I was able to string a few games together. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it makes a big difference, like I said before. And, yeah, the one I, I sort of would echo the same sentiment about um, Pruy. Like, I didn't have much interaction. I didn't really have that much interaction with him during um, that reserve season. But I think he had an influence in other ways that he probably doesn't even realise in terms of me regaining sort of belief and confidence. And I think, like you were saying, some of those things with doing the um, – the wrong thing and him getting hard on you, it actually makes you start to think about the team more than just yourself, doesn't it? Which I think is the beauty of it as well. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it's pretty exciting what we could do um, this year with him at the helm. Um, before we sort of touch on, like, last year in particular, um, I want to get have a bit of a dive into, like, the training side of things and the work ethic because – like you said, resilience is obviously a big part of who you are, but in terms of what we see out on the field, you've built your game on your work rate and endurance. Obviously, you've got other strengths which have come as well, but that, yeah. I think, is the base of your game. Like, that's what you've started off with as being like your one would, then you've built from there. So we've probably heard a little bit of what driving the driving factors might have been in terms of like you um, – being at the stage where you are now with your training, but where did that all start for you? Where did the drive for the training come from? And what was the um, process like of actually building yourself up to that level that you are now? Because for anyone who doesn't know, you will do two sessions a day for a lot of days during the pre-season. Like... Your running ability is at another level. Like I stand by fittest in the waffle, best runner in the waffle. But then even like your other stuff, like your weights, I know like your cross other cross types, cross training types, yep. things like swimming and bike as well, you name it, and you're doing it at a pretty good level. So, yeah, where, where did that sort of start? Like where did that drive for training and, and everything sort of start for you? Yeah, so obviously like I won't touch on the Colts much. It, that enhanced it, but it started before that and the – Biggest drive for me was actually was actually my mum. So uh, growing up um, in my teenage years, it was me, my mum and, and my two sisters. And when you're young, you're kind of naive and you don't really understand what's going on as much. And this is probably that 12, 13 to 16-year-old range. So I was at school obviously yep. and that. And you know, mum, we had kind of moved houses – a, a bit we had to move around a little bit because you know mum was trying to do everything on her own and what I d- didn't realize then what I know now is the what she did for me and my sisters growing up is makes what I do seem like nothing like she generally was working 60 hour weeks she'd work so she'd work six to five uh, sorry seven seven to six every single day Monday to Saturday so she at, was at a, a coffee coffee club um and then She'd come home, she'd do all the cooking, she'd do all the cleaning. I'd never missed any training. And back then I was playing still at the early stage, I was still playing footy, cricket and tennis. Never missed a training session. Then when I was playing footy and basketball, I never missed anything. My sisters were doing dance and netball. They never missed anything. 
our birthdays, our Christmas, we got any pretty much if we we asked for something and we'd most likely get it. It was we had a, a great childhood, uh, me and my sisters growing up. When really we should not, like it should have been a lot harder than what it was. And to, when I look back, it actually annoys me that I didn't help out as much as I could. But my mum generally did everything and not once complained. Mm. And because she she didn't want us to know how much, like she was struggling struggling financially or anything like that. She just put her head down. And if she had to work longer, she would. I know there was times where she'd schedule in to do extra work when one of our birthdays was coming up so we could get what we asked for. And, yeah. And even at a young age, even though I didn't realise what it, what it was, when I was getting towards my 15, 16-year-old and I started to see, you know, I started working part-time with school and I was like, I'm getting tired. I was going to training. I, I'd started going to the gym and I, I remember like there was a few times I sat back and I, I looked at what my mum was doing and I said that's not it's not normal what she's doing like I don't know how she's not ex- t- tired or exhausted which I guarantee she was but she'd never say it and she'd never complain she just did everything for us kids and like we were in a nice home um, you know compared to she was getting no help at all and it that was my biggest factor in terms of if my mum can do that for me and my two sisters, the mm. least I can do is show her like how well she raised f- for me, raised me as a, as a, as a kid. Yeah. And um, yeah, like a lot of people look at. Obviously, I'm not a massive drinker or anything. I not I have anything against it. And she actually encourages for a while. She encouraged me to go out more. But I got to a stage where, you know, alcohol and other and other stuff like that kind of broke my family family apart and I don't and she never once wanted me to make this promise or anything but I remember promising her that I'd never go down that track and you know there's I'm gonna stay away because I want to show you what you did for us was just it was, was so it meant so much and it you know oh, I'm so grateful for what you've done that it gave me that obsession firstly to to start training more and start, you know, going to the gym, doing these extra sessions because I wanted to prove to her, not prove to her, but I wanted to show her, like, you did all this, like, what you've done for me, the least I can do is try and make you as proud as yeah. I can. And she was just proud of me being me, but I kind of, yeah, I got to a to a stage where I just wanted to make, I wanted to show her that she's raised a son that she can be, you know, very proud of. Yeah. And also, like the appreciation and repay, like almost in a way, repaying what she's put in to yeah, you guys. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that, that's where it started. And I think, and and to be honest, I don't know if we we did touch on him at the start, but um, LeBron James and a lot of people know how much I'm obsessed with him. But it was actually at that stage where he first went to Miami in 2011, and he absolutely choked against Dallas Mavericks. Yep. Yep. In the finals, and as great as he was, and yes, he was already a multi-millionaire, and he had everything he needed. You could see, like, there was so much pressure and scrutiny. Like, I don't think if, I'm not sure if you were following the NBA back there, but how much scrutiny? I don't think there's ever been more scrutiny on a player, especially after the decision, which yeah, was him moving decision, from Cleveland moving, to Miami. And yeah. then I've never seen so many people happy that he failed, and you could see the weight of the world was on this guy's shoulders. And I think watching him show resilience and develop as a player 
was around that same time with my 16s and my Colts and all that was happening, you know, from me. Yeah. It was transitioning for him in NBA. And, and it's weird because obviously, you know, he's LeBron James and who he is. But the, I actually – I follow his career so closely that when I saw him start winning championships and I saw him start breaking through, it was like, look, he's done it, like, from all this work, right? Where he, like, I can do it too with my sport. And – I used to watch clips of him all the time and it wasn't like his highlights clips. It was the clips where people were knocking him and that. And then I'd see him in the weight room. I'd see him training. I'd see him doing all these right things. And then firstly, you know, from, I guess, my mum and then from that, I developed this training habit where I just, no matter how I felt, I, I just said to myself that I was going to learn what I, like, what I need to do and I was going to do it. And... I think the the best part of it that I, I kind of the only I don't really look back at it but I'm proud is there hasn't been a year or a, a moment since you know I was 16 17 where I've kind of just taken it easy like I feel like every year I've stepped it up in one way or another these days I'm a bit more smarter in terms of you know as you said I was stretching before that stuff that I probably wouldn't have done not that long ago but I'm smarter now that yeah. I, sometimes it's not always about bashing my body I'm doing recovery and that but in terms of building up on what I've done I feel like every year I become more and more obsessed with getting the most out of myself and those two my mum and LeBron James are definitely the biggest driving factors behind where I got this training sense of wanting to do all these sessions that like you you mentioned before yeah um it's funny how um sort of like perspective that you get from other people is what can sort of influence you and and drive you as well. I've had uh, like similar things with like both my parents with their work ethic, absolutely, and then but then also grandparents like sort of coming over from Croatia and not knowing the language and starting a life where essentially we're here and I'm here and able to do what I can do as well. It's just funny how yeah, like you sometimes it's pretty easy to lose lose perspective or not have like perspective of things, but when you can have that perspective, it's sort of can help help you can't it yeah um so yeah so obviously you've explained a bit where that drive came from or that want to to work hard um but in terms of actually in these sessions pushing yourself because you're obviously like when you're running when we're running 1k as like we were this morning like the times you're running um like with your swimming or whatever it is how have you found like breaking the barrier to go to be running better to be swimming um faster like that kind of thing has it been a matter of because it's interesting to see how people have gone about it have you have you just set obviously you get better as you do things and you become stronger in the gym as well all that kind of stuff but have you just set yourself sessions to do over the years and just said no matter what I'm doing this and then just doing it till you get there or do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so when I first started, like when I first started doing those sessions, I was I was quite unfit. I was quite – and I'd plan to do running sessions and I, I wouldn't be able to finish them or I'd do them and I'm like, I want to hit these target times and I was nowhere near. Mm. And I know – what the big thing I noticed about myself early days was I had low resilience when it came to like pain threshold. 
when it, when it started getting tough, whether it was running, whether it was swimming, when I was in the gym, when, you know, I was fatiguing, I quickly, I didn't have the mental capacity to push through and be like, no, I'm getting this done. Yeah. Or I'd fade away very quick. That's what it is, isn't it? Like you, obviously you have to get stronger, et cetera, and you get better as you, you sort of get older and you become stronger, et cetera. But a lot of this kind of stuff, I think you'd agree is, breaking the mental barrier yeah so that's sort of what i'm sort of trying to get at how did you yeah. go about break continually breaking that mental barrier yeah so for me yeah it was a lot on repetition and it, and it got to a stage where i'd see i think i'd do these sessions i wouldn't get where i wanted and as the weeks build on i'd see a little bit of progress and it then give me the confidence that no i can push extra than this and i would yeah, in some of these, like some of the sessions that you do, you don't feel like doing it. You're the last thing you want to do. But I think from repetitive, repeatedly doing these sessions, no matter how I felt, there'd be days where I feel like absolute crap. I was like, no, I'm going to get this done. And my times might be crap. I might not run. I might lift a lot lighter than what I'm doing, but I'm going to get it done because when I bank all these sessions up, it it really built my resilience and it built my mental capacity that no matter how my body was feeling, I'd be able to break through and get through it. And the more I did it, the more I realised I could push harder and it was all a mental game for me. Mm. You know, when I got to the stage where mentally I was like, I can be feeling no good and once a session starts, I can mentally go, no, like push and I know I can keep going and that was something that I never was able to do that I built and the biggest thing for me was repetition where you see a lot of people that start stuff, you know, everything's always good for the first week or so. As soon as it starts getting tough, you start missing a session here or there or you start, you know, cheating yourself on your reps. And I was a big advocate on no matter how I like, get the session done and move on. Like just don't miss a session. If you need to drop weight, hit the reps that you need to hit. Like don't cheat yourself. And I think through repeatedly doing that, I was able to build resilience and I was able to build the mental capacity that, look, I, I've i done this when I felt like crap. Now I'm, feel, like I'm feeling better the next week. I was able to go heavier. And I just kept building on that. Mm. And because like, and I kind of touched on it before, like people say, you know, how you do all these sessions? Like, how do you always feel so good? Like on Tuesday, like I had to get, I got up at half past four and I went swimming. And the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, jump in the pool at my time I got quarter past, half past five and swim laps. And I was like, mentally, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to, I'm a bit sore from training the night before, I don't want to do it. And as soon as I start swimming, I just, I'm mentally able to go, and like, you, you kind of go into a, a different zone. And I, I kind of have two different sides of me. Like, if you see me off site, off the track, I'm quiet. You know, like, I can be a bit of an idiot sometimes and I joke around. And then, like, when it comes to my training, I've been able to build almost like this um, alter ego and a lot of like people I follow, like Kobe Bryant had the black mamba where yeah. he stepped foot on court and it's like I've gotten to a stage when I start training, I can just transform myself into this mentally stronger person to get through these sessions and it's just built from year on year on, you know, repeatedly doing the work and not, not cutting any corners. Consistency sounds like a big theme yeah. as well and it's not really um, – there's no secret – no. ingredient is there either and that's it like i'm you know i've never once you know i'll put my hand up i'm not the most skillful i'm not the quickest i'm not tall there's nothing about me that's oh like genetically you know i'm gifted or i'm a freak i was my first year of cults what i didn't mention 2014 i think i came second last in our time trial mm. 
So it's not like I've, I'm, oh, this guy's naturally fit. I wasn't. People think that, but I used to come last. Yeah. So it's that consistency, like you said. And I think it's like something to highlight. It's a massive credit to you because you already touched on it. But I was going to say you probably you wouldn't have considered yourself the most skillful or obviously the fittest. You've just said you're finishing second last in the time trial, and I think it, it's a credit to you with where you are now. And it shows as well that you sort of can do something if you really want to, and don't take shortcuts and don't. Like fuck around essentially like if you want to set your sights and do and do something you can actually do it because there's guys who play footy who like they might do like 85 percent right 90 percent right take minor shortcuts they'll still play waffle league footy because they've got some talent or athleticism or height that's pretty natural and it, like they might be happy playing waffle footy and that's fine but potentially they could be going even better they could be having a top flight AFL career but I think the whole point of it and the reason I wanted to talk to you about it is it it's a good example for people that looking from where you were even in like 23rd uh, Colts would would have been 2014 20 even 2013 14 probably eh? 12 13 14 to where you are now and because I think that's spilled over into like working on your skills and that kind of thing as well so I I I think it's just a good example because I haven't there's there's only one other person I can think of that has been in my experience that's been close to you in terms of their mentality towards doing something with training and that kind of thing that's probably like Marcus Adams but I don't even know if he's that close and it's a credit to you. Uh, it's funny you say Marcus I used to actually see him at the pool um, when he was at West Perth and yeah. I, used to, I, I actually spoke to him a few times and he was for those that don't know, Mark, is that he's an absolute unit with mm. how big he was. So yeah. I used to actually talk to him a lot and ask for tips because I was kind of just coming through this training stage trying to get better. And he was this, you know, specimen of a physique and he was swimming laps like he was a swimmer and he was 100 kilos or muscle. So yeah. um, he was actually someone that that I spoke to a bit without even really knowing. Just just quickly on the – when you were talking about like the skill level and that. So like I think the biggest thing for me, like even now – even at this stage, I don't see myself as at our club at waffle level a top like in terms of skillful. I'm nowhere near. Like a lot of people, if we a lot of reserves players, if we both had our best day, we're probably even. But the difference I feel that I've got myself to is they will show that once every couple of weeks, every three weeks, and then the other days, you know, like you said, they're taking the shortcuts where I consistently try and do the same thing that you know, my week will beat your week, you know. My month will beat your month. Our session, we could have one session where we're both at our best and we're probably identical. But then over the span of months and years, my year will beat your year because I'll do this, this and this where so-and-so will take shortcuts here and here and here and that's where the gap widens. Mm. Where You know, and we, we're, we're starting to develop a culture where there's a lot of players now that are, are building months and years of continuous, you know, consistent work. And I think it, it is starting to show and I reckon this year is going to be the year it really comes, you know, out into a team perspective and, and more wins. Yeah. And in saying that, like, you've got to give yourself a bit of credit because your skills have improved a lot in saying that. Oh. But that goes back to the whole thing speaking about having things in place but then the consistency and there's no, um, like, magic bullet 
that's going to just do it for, for you. There's no one thing you can try that's going to make you that much better unless it's probably illegal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think credit to you there as well because you, you have improved in that aspect and I think it showed with the footy you've played over the years. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I guess I was, yeah, that natural talent is definitely wasn't my strong suit, but obviously I love the running and that, but I, I, d- I have worked on you know, my craft and football um, a lot in terms of the skill and what I needed to do as a midfielder. And, you know, even now, you know, like I'll be out there earlier and stay back later to work on stuff just like you do because, you know, for us it's not a, a natural thing where we feel we can just rock up and play. You know, we love – Not Tony Not. Yeah, we're not – Mind you, he's put a lot of work in, but all, all, incredible what he can all do. Or Braden Noble for oh, that point. Braden Noble. Shows up once every four sad days <laughs> for a match, Sim. So After Noble's doing the first two months on the farm and not yeah. seeing him. Uh, to be fair, well, what are we? We're in February, so when this comes out, Brandon Noble in his one Ks this morning was looking really quick. He'd be close to game one hundred. He'd be on his way to game one hundred by the time this comes out. Yeah, he uh, yeah. Well, he has been. He's let me know quite a bit that he's not far off, so he knows exactly where he's at. <laughs> um, so let's hope we can get in there. Yeah. Um, end of twenty twenty one, you played your hundredth game. Yep. Um, what was that moment like? Uh, it was. It was really special. It. Like we've, uh, like I've spoken about, and my career being a bit, you know, it's always been up and down. A lot of our league boys didn't play that game because it was the final game. Yeah, I know. <laughs> before the final, and Pickers wanted to, and he gave me the heads up. He let me know uh, earlier in the week that half of our set, were, you, were you one that missed? No, I played. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, was say, I was about to walk off if you didn't. <laughs> but he let me know that a lot of players um, weren't going. It's not like they didn't want to. Um, you know, Pickers made the decision to give a lot of boys a rest. Because we're already playing, fi- we're guaranteed finals. Guaranteed finals and we couldn't go higher and we couldn't go lower. So we definitely had that elimination final against West, or I think we knew West Perth anyway. Yep. Or, um, so and we're coming against Claremont, who are second or third at Claremont, who I still don't think I've ever beaten them away. Uh, reserves all league. We've beaten them at home a few times now, which is good, but that's still one of those um, monkeys we'll, we'll get off our back this mm. season. But... So it, that was obviously a bit annoying that I knew it was going to be tough. But in saying that, players like Greg and Callum Garcia that I was real close with off the field got a chance to play. So, uh, you know, I was taking positives from that. And then the biggest thing was being able to run out with my little brother. So yeah. uh, my little brother is um, – he's well, he will be nine this year. So he was – I think he – he would have been seven when he came out and he obviously had the jersey with my number. And for him to be able to run out through the banner – and that was, was a huge moment for him. And I guess um, what I haven't touched on is 2014, the culture was the year he was born. And so throughout this whole journey, he's had to, even at a young age, you know, up until probably three or four, he had no idea what was going on. But he would have overheard myself, mum, always talking about footy and how things aren't going well. And he's now a, a massive driving force. Like my mum and Le- LeBron was earlier in training, he's now... Um, huge in terms of just trying to show him um you know what it takes and that you can achieve you know things uh, great things um in your life which is a bit off topic but yeah having him to run out with me um was such a special moment i know i think it was lee or whoever our photographer was was able to get a photo um, we have like a handshake that we do that i think you've noticed i do that at yeah. the end of every game yeah. whether we lose by 10 goals or we win whether i've had one kick or 30 it's it's something we do and we did it before and um, yeah, I was able to get a really nice photo and that was, um, yeah, it meant, meant a lot to me that 
he was able to run out and, um, you know, share such a, a special moment. Yeah, and I think it's great that you can sort of pass on to him what your mum sort of yeah. showed you as well. Um, and you got your name on the locker too. Yeah, well, nice. ha- having just Billy Walker, you know, the great Billy Walker yeah. myself, that's something that's, you know, that, that I still look at now and it goes – you know, my name should not be on the same locker as his um, with what he achieved. But, you know, I, you know, even though um, I do feel that as, you know, Billy comes to our games, you know, quite often comes straight up to me and, you know, knows who I am and, um, you know, has told me that he watches me quite closely wearing, wearing his number. So, um, you know, sharing those moments with him and being, having my name on a locker with someone as great as him, who's arguably the best waffle player of, you know, of all time, definitely one of the best one districts players of all mm. time. I mean, that's just, yeah, it's massive. And the amount of Bassendine locals or just Waffle fans that will come up to me and go, you know, do you know whose number you're wearing and, you know, how much that number means? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it was a huge honour to be able to get my name on a locker, you know, under Billy Walker. Yeah, and that's something you'll have for the rest of your life too, which I think is, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so last year, you obviously – you consistently play for quite a number of years already, but I think you'd probably agree that 2022 was your career year to date. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably fair to say. Yeah. Um, you played state footy, that great experience, I'm guessing, Optus Stadium. Result, not great. Probably didn't get as much midfield time as you should have, but I'm guessing the experience was still something that you won't forget anytime soon. Yeah, nah, so to be able to play, you know, obviously you have – you have your team goals and you have your per, um, individual goals. And when I was first playing league footy, players like Riggs, Davo, Hugh, Simo, Noddy had all played state and were playing state footy. And I used to think, you know, you know, what, could, could that be me? And I remember earlier I was like, ah, like I'm no chance of playing state anytime soon. And it only been the last couple of years where I looked at it and I go like, you know, if I could have consistent starts or could play some consistent footy over a couple of years, you never know, I could get picked and – so first he get picked for the squad. I was uh, like over the moon and, um, you know, I wasn't sure how I would go at training. I wasn't really sure what to expect, how they picked the team or whatever. And then to find out that I was playing um, at Optus. I'd never played at Optus before. So it was, yeah, it was a massive moment, um, for you know, for me and, and for my family. And when we did our jumper presentation, I'm not sure if – I think because there was a few players that were playing there first, but um, – not many people brought their family and I had quite a few family members there and it was like they, the guy that was presenting the jumpers actually shouted that out, that I had a lot of family there, but it just meant so much to them because they've obviously been with me throughout the whole journey and for me to be able to play play state was, you know, something that, you know, they probably didn't think a few years ago that I'd be able to do and um, now that I, I was able to do it, it meant so much and, yeah, the, it was a close game. We ended up losing by a few points because yeah. Steph didn't want to give me a handball hit, and had a shot and missed. Hit the post, didn't he? Yeah, late? I was yeah. wide open. <laughs> that's all right. But, yeah, no. I, um, Jarvis, pass on that information, please. Oh, <laughs> that is, I've told Jarvis that already. He knows. I think I told Steph too after the game. But, um, yeah, no, nah, just to experience, you know, playing with the likes of Kitchen and Black, these players that I looked up who had played now have played like seven or eight state games and, and, you know, to be able to represent your state and, you know, keep the jersey and stuff, it, it's definitely something that I'll never forget and, you know, a real special moment in my career. And hopefully you'll be adding to that tally. I'm sure you will. Oh, well, I think I saw that they're at South Australia. It's at 
Adelaide over yeah. this year. So it'd yeah. be nice to do, at least do one more and be able to play over there and, you know, be able to experience. And you never know, mate, the way you've been playing. Lately, <laughs> oh, surely you are due. Well, you no. told me off air to mention old, this. So. <laughs> old, old bones over here, mate. Well, no, they don't pick until you get older normally. <laughs> You're a chance, I reckon, surely. No, nah, no, nah, I think Juffy. I think Juffy's got me covered over Move over, over Juffy. Come on, mate. <laughs> um, and then obviously you won the Swan Medal in a canter last year as well. Like obviously we've got our team goals and team success is what we're ultimately chasing, but no no doubt you've had a chance to reflect on that a little bit and it must be must feel like a nice reward or recognition for the hard work that you've obviously put in along the way. Yeah, like you said, of course, you know, you have your individual goals there and it was one of those ones where again, a few years ago I wouldn't have said, Oh look, I I don't think I never would ever win uh, win one, and over the last few years, I, I've been close, and I've thought, you know, if I could put a consistent year together, you know, I, I could possibly win one, and to be able to win it, and you know, you look at players that I've played with that have won it um, previously, you know, you, you, you look at Amesy, Noddy's won a couple, Riggs has won a couple, Davo, Golty, um, and then you know Frank as well, more recently, like to even now, like to put my name as a Swan medalist with a few of that, it doesn't feel right doesn't sit right um but yeah it's just it was a massive a massive honor and i guess like you said it was just a bit of a reward for you know a lot of time and effort that i've put over the years and to be able to be recognized you know as a, as a swan medalist is again it's something that i'll probably look back more when i'm done because i'm always looking ahead and you know quite quickly after the last season i'm already training into the next season so by the time we had the swan medal i'd already been training for quite a while so i was kind of way past what happened back then i was already looking forward so but yeah it's it's a massive honor and not only that to win the jack nichols award the trainers award um you know that that meant a whole lot um obviously for those that don't know it's a award that India, our property guy, gives that was, um, you know, it's based on his father and his family that was a, a head trainer for, for many years and was a part of many premierships. And, you know, like I still remember the speech he gave in the club rooms, which obviously gets announced on our last training yep. training session, um, to hear the speech that he that he gave about me because, you know, he's been here since Colts and he knows my story quite and well. And he sees it all. He sees it all. And because I get to training quite early, we always, we always talk and we, we consistently – chatting before so he knows a lot that's going on and um yeah to be able to win that and have you know like a photo frame in the trainers room that you know that stuff like that meant meant so much with some of the players that have won that award um yeah so to be able to win both of those awards in the same season was yeah a real special night yeah but i think both um thoroughly deserve and reflective of what you did as well so yeah credit to you um the last thing i wanted to ask you before we move on to a couple of segments and try and wrap this up um you're a teacher outside of footy. Yep. Teaching at Averley, Averley yep. Secondary College, so near home, which is, which is nice. And what, who are you mainly teaching? What uh, year? What year? Yeah. So this is the first year we've been. So this is my third year, and it was a new school. So it started with sevens, and then sevens and eights, and so on. So my first year, we only had up to year tens. This is the first year we've got seven to twelves, and I'm teaching a lot of year nine to eleven at the moment. So teaching some year eleven, so like some PE studies and that, which is really really nice uh not not teaching any year sevens which i had a lot of last year which has has its pros and cons you know year sevens can be quite uh they can be a lot more engaging when it comes to pe at that age but they can also be a lot more talkative and a lot more uh, you have to deal with out outside of teaching you know that classroom management side of things but 
Um, no, it, it's, I'm really enjoying my time there. It's you know close to home, which works well with time management. Like you said, we've been able to get some training done beforehand and then being able to get to footy on time to do what I like to do. So um, it's a, yeah, it definitely fits in well with everything that's going on yeah. at the moment. And you're able to maintain sort of the balance because yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you go about balancing footy with a full-time occupation, which can be pretty difficult, but I suppose if you had to choose an occupation that fits in pretty well with it, teaching's probably right up there, especially given the summer break, which means plenty of pre-season time for you. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that can also be bad because I don't end up overdoing it yeah. with my training. But, yeah. um, nah, so, like, obviously teaching is definitely not a, a very physical taxing job, so I'm lucky in that sense. Obviously, sometimes you, you do, you get quite mentally tired. So I, I even now try and find ways to make sure I stay refreshed and, not over overcook it with teaching and training and that in just terms of the mental side of things. But yeah, I'm pretty lucky in that sense that I'm, you know, not on a roof all day or not exactly, you know, in the heat building like a, a trade definitely wasn't going to be a, a job for me, I thought. And just with how much I grew up with sport, that was always going to be, um, teaching was always going to be a good chance or something to do with sport anyway. Yeah. And do kids know who you are from a like, footy perspective? Uh, a lot of them do, yeah. Um, and that's not to say that I, I tell them. Uh, but, sure. Uh, I've told a couple. A couple of the bad. Swan medal and, down and, at Averley well, College. I've got to be careful what I say because they could listen to this when it comes out. So I've definitely told a few of the uh, – it always happens that the naughty ones are the ones that are good at footy. And when I've told them that I play and they I know they've gone home and Googled me, they've come back a different kid. So I'm not – I'm happy with that. But I, is that, a lot of them come down to the home games. And it's actually quite nice that a lot of them will come down. Some of them catch the bus from Ellenbrook, which, you know, you actually have to get on two different buses to get here and, and they're catching a bus back at 5, 5.30. So um, it's actually real nice to to hear Mr. Turner or Sir getting caught out uh, at the end of quarters and that when they when they want to say hello. But, no, a lot of them support me quite well. There's a few that if I play bad, I try and avoid because they'll let me know <laughs> how bad I played. Oh, you need both. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if I have a good game, I'm shoulders back. I'm walking around the school, knocking on the window, just trying <laughs> to get the students to just to see me. But if I have bad, I try and hide a bit. But no, nah, they're great. They're real supportive, which is actually quite cool. Yeah, uh, and that segues nicely into the first of a couple of little segments that we'll do. Um, we've got some questions that were pre-prepared from some kids um, that are part of the Swans Elevate program. Okay. So, but the question was, what was the um, worst part of your career, which might have already something you already touched on? Yeah, I think we spoke about it for long enough. But definitely, um, the worst part, I guess, ever talking uh, just in a football sense. My overall career was definitely you know that 2012 to 14 period. Uh, that was definitely the toughest. And then you know maybe talking more of a league perspective, probably. That 2016, I think 17 we made finals, but there was a period there where we were near the bottom quite a bit and that was definitely tough as much as I was coming up and playing more league, being able to, you know, not win many games. As you know, when you were coming in, we weren't doing too well. It it can be quite tough at times when all your reviews are, are, you know, more negative and they're going to be than positive and it it can can mentally drain you. I think since I've been in league, definitely – those periods where we weren't many, winning many games yeah. was definitely by far the hardest hardest time. Plus, if you're competitive as well and you want to win, <laughs> yeah. no one likes losing. It gets to a point, you're just sick of it. Yeah, we'll move on to the second question. Luana from year eight, and she wants to know what your proudest moment is, which you've probably already touched <laughs> yeah. on as well. But, but yeah, like give us give us maybe yeah your proudest. Yeah, it's probably like obviously 
straight away your, your debut yeah. comes to mind. Like everyone's always going to have your, your first game, especially, you know, with how much I probably didn't feel I would have that year or no one felt I probably would that year. Um, yeah, it's probably hard because the debut, I think the three that stand out for me is the, the debut, the 100th and the state game. So 100th, which I touched on being able to run it with my my little brother just meant the absolute world to me. Like uh, that, that probably stands out more than anything, to be honest. And then being able to play state footy from an individual, you know, perspective was I was quite proud to be able to say that I've, I've played that. But, yeah, if I had to narrow that down, I, I'd, I'd probably lean towards the 100th. Yeah. And also touched on being able to get your name on the locker under such a great player like I was able to. Um, you know, I've got my name up on some of the boards here now under 100 games. And then because of that um, – yeah, being able to run out with my little brother, that was probably the proudest moment yep. so far. Yeah. And the last one, this is a very good question for you from yes. Joel. Yeah. What Joel, Joel's done his research. <laughs> what type, He's seen me training. What type of physical toll does what you do take on your body? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think from what we've said, obviously, you know, physically, obviously there's – it's quite tough, you know, and, and over the years I've gotten smarter with doing sessions that – maybe don't revolve my legs or don't revolve something as much where previously I'd still hammer through when I'm not feeling great, you know, but for everyone that, everyone that plays footy, you know, not just at like a waffle level, but just at any level, you know, throughout a season, it's very rare that there's any players towards the end of the season that aren't banged up a little bit or dealing with some sort of issues. And, you know, with the amount that, you know, I train in that, you know, you're never always feeling great, but I think like we've spoken about being able to recover and, do the right things after makes a huge difference, which for me I'm starting to realise over the last couple of years how much, you know, less of a physical toll I can put on myself and still, you know, or perform better than just session after session. So, yeah, the answer to that, it definitely is a big physical toll, but you can work your way around it and be a bit smarter to, you know, recover better. Yeah, and I think um, some of the other components like nutrition and sleep and that kind of thing and recovery, like you said, plays a part i think if you get some of them right actually doing a high volume of training can help you out or like a certain volume of training and maintaining that can actually help out yep. how your body feels if you're getting the other parts right yeah you'd 100%. probably agree with that yeah and that's something that i've that's probably the biggest thing over the last couple of years i've discovered and again still tinkering with it but i find that the more time i can sleep and recover and that i'm actually doing better in those sessions on the following days so uh, I'll get there eventually, but yeah, I'm definitely uh, figuring that out as I go. How much, how important that other side of the stuff is. Yeah. Um, well, thanks to those um those kids for the questions. I've got a couple of quick fires questions of my own, just Here real quick, quick answers. We'll move into something else after. We'll have to answer a couple more quick fire. Best sledge you've heard or copped, if any, if uh, you can tell it. No, oh, I definitely copped a few early in my career, as you normally do. You get the old. Aaron, well, it was funny. Aaron Black, who I looked up to so much, gave me the who are you for so damn long. It almost made me start to not like him anymore. <laughs> like, uh, who's this guy I looked, uh, looked up to? And every time... Nicest bloke off the field, too. Especially when I was tagging, like when I was doing run with roles, the amount of who are you that I've got from those players that I looked up to were... Oh, there's too many to count. Yeah, see, uh, I'm not someone that gets into this legend because I don't get into it. I don't get a whole lot back, so... Yeah, probably just the standard who are you, but from the players that I got it from, it definitely hurt a lot more than what it would if it was just some player that I didn't really care about. Yeah. Hardest training session you've done? 
Well, so give us maybe, I don't know, unless if you can't think of one, give us the hardest you've done in a footy environment or and if there's one that is harder that you've done on your own, give us that as well. Oh, well and this is a, I'm very interested to hear the answer to this, especially for you. Well, I think mentally the hardest one we did was Bluff Knoll. Yeah, which was just, recent. Yeah, which was it was December 18th, 19th. It was yeah, just before just Christmas before, yeah. last year. So Budge had us, for those that know what Bluff Knoll is, is I'm, I'm not sure how many – is there a number on how many steps it is? Is there a oh, – uh, nah. ridi- I think it's 1,500 metres roughly up. We can fact check and add it yeah. in. We can ask uh, Budge and add it in. Fact we'll add some mail on it and say it's bigger than what it was. But So we went up and down uh, Bluff Knoll, obviously, and there was different stipulations with heavy bags – or carrying a rope above our head, and we had to do that three times. And I remember most of us had our watch going, and I think it was something like seven and a half hours and twenty-one kilometers, um, you know, of of walking, but just all up and down hill. Where a lot of boys would say, I think mentally, going up and down once was challenging, but knowing you had to do it another two more times, and it wasn't like Budge hit it from us. We knew that as we we're coming down the first time, we we're going to be going back up again, and. For the two groups that were at the front, which was my group was one of them, we were halfway down on the third time when Pruy sent us back up again. So uh, it made it, it made the uh, kilometres tick over 21. And I remember just how mentally exhausted you were after that. And physically as well, like your legs were absolutely cooked from going up and down stairs for seven and a half hours where yeah. we'd only have a small break in between each one because Budge was yelling at us because we weren't going quick enough to get back up again. So that was definitely mentally uh, one of the hardest. In terms of physical, obviously, like you have a lot of, you know, heavy running sessions where you can do, you know, your five 1Ks and stuff like that. But uh, Christmas morning, I actually did a 100K bike ride. Just gone? Yeah, just yeah. gone. I did a 100K bike ride. And I'd ne- over the past year b- before that, the most I've probably ever done was 40 or 50. And I've, I've had a, I've got a little bit of a tradition going, which a lot of boys seem to, follow the last couple of years where I get up early Christmas morning and do a session and my theory behind it probably isn't the best but it's more of I know not many are going to do it so it's me getting an edge on people so I was actually up at about three um, because I knew it was going to take a while I wasn't sure how long because I'd never done it so I think I was riding by quarter to four four o'clock and it was yeah a a good three and a half four hours um, riding and I, I didn't pack enough like energy gels or anything I wasn't sure what to bring um, my legs were quite sore because it wasn't that long after Bluff Knoll or anything like that. And the day before, I did a running session with Budge thinking it was going to be light and we did a 10K run. So I wasn't feeling great going into it, if I'm being honest. I didn't want to tell Budge that. I told him I was feeling light as a feather because he was a bit – wasn't sure if I should do it or not because I told him about it. And, um, yeah, I got about 50Ks in and I reckon the last 40 kilometres were absolute hell. Again, mainly on my legs. But that's another physical and mental one that, that was quite tough to get through. Both in a shorter space of time as well. Yeah, I know. I think that's that's where my legs really started <laughs> to struggle after that. And so could you get off the bike? Could you, could you stand once you got off the bike? <laughs> oh, I had the jelly legs for a <laughs> yeah. bit. But what I was more concerned about is halfway through the ride, I don't know why, but my nose just started pouring out, bleeding. And instead of stopping, because I didn't think if I, if I stopped, I wouldn't be able to get going again. I was riding with... One hand, I had my shirt in my hand, holding my nose, trying to get my blood to stop as I was just had one hand on the bike. And I wore a white shirt, which has now obviously been thrown out because the amount of blood that was on it was ridiculous. And that took a long time for it to stop. And I had blood all over my hands and stuff, which I didn't really get to wash until I finished. And when I first finished, my first thought was, 
like washing my hands and getting all the blood off me, which had been stuck on me for a good couple hours. Jeez, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully no one saw you because there might have been a few questions asked about what you'd been up to. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> the good thing was it was that early. There wasn't many people on the yeah. roads or riding, so oh. um, I was able to get away with it. Yeah, Merry Christmas, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, now, I always ask um, people if they can send me a few things in that I can sort of bring up on the pod. So you got a little bit, bit little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, there's gonna be one about a bike again. I can tell. Nah, nah not, oh, not the nah, triceps. Not, nah, not the triceps. We all know about that. That's the old. It's a good photo. You, you love to put the. You yeah. love to straighten the arms out on the bike handles to show off the triceps. Oh, I was just reaching for Everyone handles. knows that, but smart. Um, look, I'll check this with you. But a few years back, um, Rod Manton, who used to be, uh, help, who used to play, but yep. was helping out as a club chaplain and it essentially was doing um mentoring with some guys um he did a hike with a group of boys a couple of years ago oh yeah that, w- that you went on is yeah. that right yeah that yeah that wasn't that, that would have been after so not the last off season just the one before yeah, yeah yeah um and you guys sleep overnight somewhere as part of that yeah we i can't remember where we went to but it was it was i've never had so many flies and mosquitoes on us it was on these hard I don't know what would you call them. It was the, probably the worst sleep you'd ever had. But yeah, there was about there was about ten, twelve of us. A few of the boys that are here at the club now were, yep. were part of it. And then, so the day you went on the main hike, maybe, or you you had to go to the top of a hill. Um, I've heard that very early in the morning, you needed some help, almost like a covert operation. So the rest of the boys didn't see with having a topless photo taken of you at the top of the hill before everyone else did it. The kit went on, the backpack went on, the top went off like you'd already done it and the photo was taken at allegedly around 5am and it was all for the gram. Is this true or false? And if it is true, I want to know who went with you because they're as much part of this as you are. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) This must have been sent in from Greg or Cow. It had to have been one of them. I was trying to think because it was one of them that took the photo. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Might have been the person who told me about it. Yeah, well, look, yeah. It, so what happened was I, it, like it was a terrible sleep. I was up early and I've did, I was I was looking quite lean because none of us had eaten a lot. Um, Cow brought three crackers with him for the whole night, so I'd given him some of my food. So I was quite hungry myself. And, um, yeah, the, the, I think the rig was – was looking lean at the time, so I was able to get a. I wanted to get a photo for the gram anyway for the hike, and and that's I'd never really done one, and it was about a thirty kilometre hike altogether, so it was quite good. And yeah, you know, the sun the sun was rising, it was good lighting, and you know I, I took, I decided to take advantage of that and got the sh- the shirt off. And if you've seen my gram and saw the photo, you could see why. I really <laughs> oh, he's backing <laughs> it in. He's doubling down on it. <laughs> I couldn't say it's not true because if you went on my gram, you'd see the yeah. photo. Right <laughs> it hasn't there. been taken off. No, it's got one Too of the good. most. That's nah, a good. Too pick. good to take off. Got as one of my favourite stars, so it's up there straight away. Oh no, he's pinned it. Um, that's Greg or Gas. So yeah, it was Greg. I mean, um, they are a, that, that was Greg. When, and so back a while ago. Um, when you're a single man, I uh, heard like with dates that any dates you went on, you sort of maybe watched how much you were spending. Um, <laughs> if you ever had to catch an Uber somewhere, <laughs> did you ever ask for some of the Uber to be 
paid for nah. the cost of the Uber to be paid for. Look, I, I, I was honest with the first one. That is an absolutely false statement who ever said that <laughs> because I'll single-handedly put my hand up and go, I don't even remember before – I couldn't even count on one hand going on dates. I was actually it – was. It, it's not something to be proud of, but I never went on many dates. I want to know who sent that one in because there, there is a running joke that – not that I'm tight with the cash, but the old fuel money – Thing that's gone around there's, for a bit. Yeah, well, I don't know where it stemmed from because I don't, there's that is definitely not true. So there's another one from the same person that stems on from that, not related to dating, but apparently um, they, you know, they send the in the mail the vouchers for food places <laughs> that you can eat, and yeah. apparently you've seen that and thought, you know what, I'm gonna start looking online. And I'm going to get them early and I'm going to go take them in and <laughs> claim my discounts. Is that true or is false? Is this Tony not? Is that true or false? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so what I've done. <laughs> that was Tony not. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was. So what I've done, and I didn't think of this idea, but I think it's a great idea. Say if you're, you're feeling a bit, you know, a bit cheeky, a bit naughty, you want to get some takeaway food. A lot of the time you go to, say, Hungry Jacks or something. The people at the front are the younger kids. Normally. So what I would do was type in like Hungry Jack's vouchers on Google Images and just zoom in on like a real good one that had expired six years ago. It was blurry as hell. You could just see the screenshot and I'd say, I've just got this voucher sent in. I took a photo. Nine out of ten times they'd they'd put it through, no questions asked. So So you you might have cost some Hungry hungry Jack's kids their jobs. Is what you say. Might have cost them some some of the If the manager found out, it wouldn't be great because on some of the clear photos, the date had clearly said it expired six years before. Uh, But from my point of view, I was able to get a lot more food for a cheaper price. And, you know, who's going to knock back that? So that that one is true. And I I stand by that being one of the more clever (laughs) things I have done. Oh, I love that. Um, And the last one I had, I asked this person. I'm good um, at guessing who says these I'll stories. I'll ask though. this person if they had anything to stitch you up like for a podcast. They said, nah, not too much. But then then oh, and then I got a reply, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And then I got a reply like later in the day. He's TDNO Snapchats. And then I said, how long did they go on for? Because I, I, I knew about them. And, and then I got the reply, years. <laughs> Are you talking about the take no days take off? Take no days off. Do you stand by that? I don't post them anymore. But did, but did you? Did fit? I do them? Yeah. There was a lot of uh, posts where the hashtag TNDO featured. Featured. <laughs> to be honest, I think there was a lot of strive for greatness <laughs> hashtags, which was from LeBron James. STG. Yeah. I'd, no, SFG. Yeah, yeah. So the... Those two definitely in a lot of posts. So I, when I did post on Instagram, a lot of them were training posts. So I will admit that there was a lot of TNDOs. I even there's a, I know there's one. I actually bought a TNDO singlet, um, which doesn't fit me anymore because it was a long time. But I still like keep. It. I like st- it doesn't. I still keep it. I'll <laughs> squeeze it on one day. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who sent that. Any in, idea? If you had to guess. Is it a current? So, someone, it a, nah, it's nah, not a current. Not current. Someone you've played with, though, obviously. Simmer or someone like nah, that. Nah, uh, nah, 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 and, nah. And this person's taken on that mentality of sending snaps to something regularly, but not of. Oh, it wasn't Freddie Clutterbuck. Yeah. Was <laughs> yeah it? Well. We can't. If, we, if he's mentioning Snapchat, that man should be banned. Because <laughs> uh. we, we, we see every time he has a spin. 
Yeah. And we know how many beers he's consumed every session. The too. spin and the beers are within half an hour of each other as well. It's unbelievable effort from the great recovery, man. Recovery, he'd say recovery. Yeah, re- yeah, recovery beers. The only difference was his recovery would be 15 of them. <laughs> I'll get him on at some point too. That would be great. Because we need to hear about the Nathan Jones story, which I'm not going to go into, but everyone's heard about. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad, isn't Brad Green mentioned yeah, that as well? Yeah. There's a lot of great stories from him. Oh. Shout out, Freddie. Um. All right, this is the last segment and then we'll be wrapping up. This is one I'm trying to do with every guest as well. I'm going to record the answers and how well you score is going to be purely based off of my subjective opinion of your answer and whether I think it's good or not. So basically I'm just going to give you like a this or that and you've just got to answer which one. Okay. So range of ones. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Um, First one, peanut butter, crunchy or smooth? Smooth. That's not a great start. It's harder to put it on the toast when it's crunchy. Not a great start. Um, barbecue or tomato sauce? Tomato. You're not off to a good start at this stage. Um, really? Sausage roll or pie? Sausage roll. Redeeming yourself a little bit now. I, I don't know how you can prefer a pie, personally. They're yeah, too hot to eat. Too hot. The mince hits your lip and it's, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've got this one in. I might not even ask it. LeBron or MJ? <laughs> oh, MJ. After what LeBron has just done with the scoring yeah. record, oh, MJ's a distant <laughs> second. <laughs> that debate is over. Oh. All right. This one, you are you are a footy head. Well, you've been into footy, so you should know this one. But I don't know. Maybe, um, but no, you should know this one. So Brisbane Lions hat trick, 2001 to 2003. Yep. Hawthorne's hat trick. From 2013 to 2015, Richmond's three flags in four years. You sort of know those years roughly. Or Geelong's three flags in five years or none of them and something else. Like if you had to pick out of those teams and those periods, which one do you think? Mm, Yeah, so I remember the Brisbane ones not as well because I was like the five, six, seven, I remember watching it. Uh, The rest I remember quite well. I personally – it's – I will go – Hawthorne's three P over the rest. Yeah. Which is interesting because they did have a bit of, they struggled to beat Geelong for a bit in yeah. the, like, the premiership season. But I remember they'd always get them in the finals. So Geelong had been consistent for a long time and they were winning premierships near the same time. But I'll go Hawthorne's. Yep. I like that. Um, I think I know what the answer is to this as well. Well, actually, I've thrown something in there, so maybe it's not as obvious. But, uh, World Cup winning goal in soccer, uh, Game 7 NBA Finals winning jump shot, buzzer beater, winning goal in an AFL Grand Final, winning putt at the Masters, hit the winning runs in the deciding fifth Ashes test in England or take the final wicket when the opposition needs two runs to win the same test. What I think's the bit... Which one would you pick? I'll pick the AFL one. And if we took that out... If Ga- we took if Ga- game seven NBA finals, hit the game winner. Yeah, which I'm not surprised about. That's a good response, surely. Oh yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot. That's a tough. That's a tough yeah. question to have a preference. I've sort of, I've probably got a ranking, but that's um. If, that, you, if you go that, from an Australian good. perspective, the Ashes would probably be the biggest one. Yeah, but you got to you yeah. got to pick one, mate. Uh, I'm picking basketball. Yeah. Okay. Um. So this is like. Similar but probably broader level, like tennis grand slam. Um, your best soccer player in the world in a year when you win the World Cup. You win the golf grand slam. 
or you're the MVP, finals MVP and champion in the NBA in the same year? <laughs> well, I shouldn't one. even bother asking these questions. Yeah, the great I? LeBron James has done that a should couple had, of times. <laughs> I should have had the answers down already for those couple. What's your coffee order? What's your go-to coffee order? Ice, almond, yeah, latte. Which we, I got for you earlier. Watching and, the skinnies. You did, you did ask me to transfer as well, but I won't bring it. <laughs> okay. Talking about time. Don't, oh. don't you try and turn <laughs> this back on me. Um, alcoholic beverage of choice. Maybe not that applicable, but if you oh, had to pick one, like those one nine sixes, oh, yeah, either solo or the great ones. The they, they, don't, they don't taste much like alcohol, so I would definitely go one of them. The Sun Tories. The the um last couple of answers have been heavy on watching the skinnies. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> With the tomato barbecue sauce, I was going to say the salt reduced one as well, uh, not the full one. Uh, that, and that, the peanut. Do you butter, want less points? Do you? Peanut butter is normally peanut butter light. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but salt reduced, salt reduced, not as good. You need a bit of salt yeah, after you train. Oh, that's fair. I might have to get the normal one. Might have got but you there. Peanut butter, stay light. Light peanut butter. Less <laughs> The smooth and the light puts your points right down. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, north or south of Perth, or what's the best area of Perth? And I tell you what, Nathan Blakely would have a lot of interest in this answer in general for anyone. I would north over south for me, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, the best area in Perth. Oh. You don't have to answer that part. You can keep it to north yeah, over south. I'll keep, if you want. Yeah, I don't, but definitely north over south. All right, and this is this one's got like bonus points attached to it, and you, if you know me, you'll know. Why and what the answer is. Who is the best key defender in the AFL right now? Look, your guy's up there. I I'm, And I'm not just saying that because I think my points are low, but <laughs> Tom Barras yeah. is a very good key defender. I'm just trying to think of who else there'd be. I'm kind of a bit stumped and I'm trying to think of, um, I guess, Darcy Moore's very good, Jacob Wiedering. Um, nah, right up there. I'll go Tom Brass. I like that. In a year where Eagles struggled last year, if it wasn't for him and McGovern to a certain point, a lot more goals would have been kicked, I think, from the opposition. Yep. Yep. I like that a lot. That's put your right back up in contention. That and light peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, and just give me a real quick answer on this before I ask you the last question, which I'll ask at the end of every pod. Um, and this isn't part of the this or that segment, but just because I know of your personal interest in it, who wins the NBA MVP this year and who takes out the championship? you got to give me a definitive answer on both. Okay, so MVP, I know your guy, Nikola Jokic, from what I read is is the favourite, but I'm going to say Joel Embiid will win the MVP. And that is purely on the fact that I, I don't think they want to give it to Jokic three in a row. I think Jokic will deserve it, but I think Joel Embiid because voter fatigue is a real thing. Yeah, and, and, narrative. Narrative and narrative plays a part in the and, story. You know, yeah. you could you could also throw out Tatum. I mean, Giannis is up there, but again, he's won it a couple times. So I was leaning towards Embiid or Tatum. I'll stick with Embiid because yep. th- I think they've had the best record since over the, since December. So they're playing well, mm. and I know he's right now in the top three. So I'll go him. Championships hard with all the changes from where we're um, filming this, Durant's just been moved to Phoenix and Lakers have got a few picks and 
Um, Don't mention the Lakers in in the trade talks and being in contention because of it, mate. D'Angelo Russell does not put you in contention for a I'm championship. Hormo uh, Barber. <laughs> I want to go out of a limb here, and this is when this gets played, and because playoffs are on, people are going to say, you know, this this has been filmed later because the LA Lakers are going to win the NBA finals <laughs> oh, now. No. They are going to be playing the Boston Celtics, which will be massive because both teams are on the same amount of championships and have the most in the NBA. And a certain LeBron Raymond James is going to be the finals MVP. And for the 2 or 3% that don't have him as the GOAT, it will officially case closed and <laughs> that will be it. Lakers are going to win. I'm, I'm, there's the Lakers are going to win the NBA finals. Bank on it. I was hoping I would get a non-delusional answer to that question, but oh well, you can't you can't get everything you hope for. <laughs> you can't get everything you hope for. All right, last question, because geez, we've gone a while. I thought the first one with Denver, we went a while, but geez, we I think we've I think we've broken the mark, mate. Um, one o'clock. I know. Normally you sleep. <laughs> um, like I said, one thing I'll ask every guest I get on. What is the next thing that you want to achieve and tick off, both from a footy perspective and a non-footy perspective? Like that, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, I did say the next thing that you want to tick off. It can be something really small or something bigger picture, but it has to be sort of the next thing that you've got in your sights that you want to tick off on both fronts. Football is definitely a premiership, which I think you'd be on the same. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. So what I want to tick off. Having won one in any level, definitely winning a premiership with, I guess, how since we've both been in it, how the ups and downs, a lot of downs we've had as, as a team, to be able to win a premiership, especially for someone like Tony Knott and that who's been here for ages would be, that's by far number one thing in terms of a football on-field type thing. And do you think that's, so because I said the next thing that you want to achieve, do you think that's realistic for this year? Very much so. That is a very realistic, and that's not to bray. I think it's going to be a very even comp like it was last year, and I think we missed the finals last year. But I think we we beaten we beat every team except East Frere. We're very good at home and away is where we struggled. But so we're definitely, I definitely think we're a top three team, and I feel we're good enough with the new players we've got coming in and the younger players again having another fifteen games. 20 games added on from last season, we're definitely in that bracket where I'm confident to say that we sh- we can win the premiership this year. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that definitely that for a playing perspective. And for a non-playing perspective... Um, or not, yeah, non-footy. Non-footy, yeah. it's I'm actually doing... So I've always got little side hobbies now. I'm actually doing a lot of uh, research on I- investing in, in property and um, also getting a house myself, so I'm doing a lot of stuff on that. So last year, I actually did a, a lot of research on the shares, which I've started uh, just quietly investing a little bit in. And this year, I've, I'm doing a lot of reading on firstly getting my house, but also getting investment blocks. So um, uh, Brooklyn, my partner, who's up in Caratha at the moment, will this will probably be her final year up there. So we're uh, definitely going to get into the talks of things later on in the year about potentially, you know, looking for a house and, you know, also to start my 
investment portfolio, which I'm very uh, motivated to do. And um, yeah, something that I definitely want to start happening. So that will definitely be something for me, um, you know, non-footy, non-sport related. Exciting times. And quick shout out to Brooklyn because I'm sure she's yeah. played a big part as well. Shout out to Brooklyn. I think she's texting me at the moment. I've, I think I forgot to tell her that I was on here. So she's wondering why I'm not replying at the moment because we've been <laughs> here for a while. But um, yeah, shout out to Brooklyn. Blame me for that one. But yeah, no, that's exciting times. Yeah, good to hear. Well, um. That wraps it up after a marathon marathon effort. How long has it been? And I, two hours and twenty five minutes and nearly. Ha- and I appreciate I appreciate oh, you right. um, taking out your time after a big training session and an early start this morning. Um, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy listening to one. I really enjoyed getting to sit down with you. I got a lot of respect for you. I enjoy having you as a teammate. So yeah, thanks for taking the time out. And um, we'll hear from. Oh, sorry, everyone will hear from me uh, next time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers, mate.